Hey, this is Adam Green, the director of the Hatchet franchise, Frozen, Digging Up the Marrow, and the TV series Holliston. You are listening to Horror Movie Podcast, where we are dead serious about horror movies. October horror fans and welcome to horror movie podcast where we're dead serious about horror movies this is episode 185 the fourth of five weekly episodes for the 2019 Halloween season this week's episode it's our top 10 horror movies of the 2000s this episode of Horror Movie Podcast is brought to you by our movie podcast network patrons and by Shudder the Netflix for horror you can try Shutter free for 30 days. Just go to Shutter.com and use the promo code HMP when signing up. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com and the promo code HMP. Thank you to all the ghosts and ghouls who support us in any way for making this show possible. Normally on Horror Movie Podcast, you get in-depth horror movie reviews for classic films and new releases with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. I am the Gill Man, Joel Robertson, and my creepy consortium of cohorts are... Hey, Dr. Sharkbacker from just outside Philadelphia, PA. And Wolfman Josh, you've got red on you. We typically do two types of shows on HMP, our infamous theme discussions where we pick a horror topic or subgenre to really sink our teeth into, and our Frankensteinian shows where we just discuss whatever horror films we've been watching lately. 90% of our shows throughout the year fall into one of those categories. But at Halloween time, we do things a little differently. In the past, your HMP horror hosts have brought you complete franchise reviews of Halloween, Scream, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and more. This year, we decided to try something new for Samhain. Every week this October, each of your horror hosts will be bringing you our top 10 movies for a particular decade. This week's episode, it's our top 10 horror movies of the 2000s. We'll also be bringing you some fun additional segments for your Halloween season, so stick around. If this is your first time listening, this is a pretty atypical episode, and we recommend you check out the themed episodes on the sidebar at HorrorMoviePodcast.com to get a taste of our usual creepy content. And without further ado, let's get into it. All right, gentlemen, we're here. The 2000s list. We are, we are ready to throw down with our personal favorites, our top 10s. And uh, I believe this time around, it's a little b- different ball game. From the other lists, right? <laughs> Would you agree? Oh yeah, absolutely. This time we all get the top ten, and we all get five honorable mentions. Yes, we do. So, Josh, you were saying that uh, you think this is going to be your best list ever? No, you know, I. It's weird because I was most concerned about the '90s. You know, '90s has a certain reputation, but my '90s list came together really easily. And it's funny, like 
going over this list, I'm the least secure about this list. And I think because my 80s list, I allowed myself to get a little bit out there because there's so many good 80s horror movies. I just said, you know what? I'm just going to do the stuff I really love and whether or not people, other people consider it a horror movie, be damned. But (laughs) then now potentially repeating that type of experience with movies that are not quite as strong. Um, it was a little daunting putting this list together, to be honest. I wasn't sure what to put on there. Ultimately, I think it's kind of a weird list, and I'm okay with that. I put on films that I I think the early 2000s for me had a lot of really quirky movies. Like There are some really strange movies, and it would have been easy for me to do the mainstream films, and I didn't shy away from mainstream films by any stretch of the imagination, but I did put on some of the otter selections. I, I toyed with putting on even otter selections. Like, you know, I went in strong with the psycho remake in the nineties. I very strongly considered putting the wicker man remake on this list (laughs) (laughs) just to be bold, you know, but I thought, you know, it's, it's truly not in my top 15. So I'll, I'll uh, refrain in this instance, but you know, I, I think sometimes our lists, uh, you know, especially like our end of year top 10 lists are, are used as a way to kind of encourage people to see some lesser seen films. That's certainly something I kind of take into account when I'm creating my top 10, definitely my honorable mentions. But this time I really tried to stick with what we had originally decided on, which was just, if you could never see this movie again, would that make you sad? Yeah. And I, I think for me personally, there's Fewer of those kinds of movies for me this time around. Now, I remember loving them at the time I saw them. So, uh, and a few of them I have seen, you know, within recent memory, but there are a few on my list that I haven't seen in quite a while, but I do know that I absolutely went gaga, loved them, saw them multiple times. Um, it just it may have been a while since I've revisited them. This really surprised me because I know what you said, Josh, that your 90s list came together really easy for you and you weren't expecting it to. I had the exact experience with this situation. This one I thought was going to be really difficult because this is also the time period just over halfway through this decade is when my wife and I started having our kids and then we had one kid after another. (laughs) So, I mean, I did see some horror, obviously, when it came out in video and and whatnot, but even then it was just a different time. You know, we were so just everything was baby, baby, baby. So we, we didn't get an opportunity. Now, a lot, that's probably also why a lot of these are pre-2005 for me, 2006. But I will say that I am pleasantly surprised at how many of these movies I know I love and that it was a a relatively painless process, which I thought this one was going to be a lot more difficult. Well, and that's actually the thing I was going to say earlier when I was talking about how quirky the films were, is I think my list right now is a lot different than it would have been if I'd made this film in the early 2000s. Because I think the films that I loved a lot then which I think I would probably say now are some of the best horror films. Uh, they didn't stick with me as much as some of these weirder selections mm-hmm. like the wicker man, for instance, mm-hmm. like the wicker man is a movie everyone hated when it came out, but that's a movie that stuck with me. You know what I mean? And so anyway, it'll, it'll be interesting to dig into this. I I'm pretty comfortable with my top 30. I think it starts getting dicey trying to get them into this top 15. So sure. it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. All right. Well, then I say we, uh, unless Dave, you got anything you want to add to it? I say we get rocking and rolling. No, I, this was a, a fairly easy list for me too. My numbers one through six were no brainers for me. Uh, and even in the order that I had them, 
But, uh, you know, seven through 10, I did switch around a little bit, but I'm really happy with it. One thing I'm really glad about is that Joel's going last because he's not going to have the opportunity to either say my movie right before I say sure, it sure. or tell people it's not a horror movie right before I say it. <laughs> yes, I, uh, I, I think that's probably a fair thing. And after he copied over my shoulder for the 90s list. <laughs> yeah, so Dave will go first, Josh will go second, and I will go dead last. So right. on that note, Dave, would you like to kick us off with your number 10? Absolutely. Number 10. My number 10 is a movie from 2009 called Dead Snow. Nice. Nazi zombie movie set, obviously, in the snow. A bunch of friends go out to a cabin to spend the weekend. They meet up with this strange guy who tells them, I don't know if you really want to be hanging around here. Because during World War II, something pretty nasty happened here to a platoon of Nazi soldiers that were stationed nearby. And uh, sure enough, uh, these Nazi soldiers are not done with this area as these unfortunate souls in the cabin soon find out. These are not your typical zombies. These are, yes, they're fast zombies, but they're also clever zombies. These are zombies acting like soldiers is what it is in this movie. And it is part comedy, but the gore and the horror are, I think, done extremely well. There's a particular scenes that kind of stick out at the end uh, where it gets, you know, it's sort of really over the top kind of violence. But if you want to picture the worst kind of Nazi zombie you could ever run into, Dead Snow has it. And again, it is, um, I know Josh said in the snow, that's one of you, that's one of your favorite settings, if not your favorite settings for mm -hmm. a horror movie. And this is set almost entirely in a, in a wintry wonderland. It's, it's a messy film, but it's, it's got a great pace. And if you're a zombie fan, you certainly don't want to miss dead snow. Very nice. Excellent. Wolfman number 10. This is the most debated film on my list. Trying to figure out which films would slide from honorable mentions into my number 10 spot. Ultimately, I decided to go with this one. The Stephen King adaptation 1408. I, mm -hmm. uh, I love that. Although Matt Greenberg had to kind of invent a lot of this film, it still feels like King all the way through and, and including in some of the tonal thematic stuff that uh, Matt came up with. Also the most successful Stephen King movie of all time until it came out. So uh, kind of exciting and overlooked film, oddly. Yeah, just an incredible movie. And it's my number 10. Awesome. That's a great pick. Yes, absolutely. All right. My number 10, which will turn out to be one of yours, number nine. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I, I highly doubt that. So my number 10, and I feel like uh, I'm starting off strong here. And this one was hard. This was in my honorable mentions the whole time, but... This is a this is an unusual one, I feel, uh, for some people, and especially for those people that assume that they know my taste. They'll be like, really? This is what you picked? Okay. Um, so my number 10 is Cabin Fever. Oh, interesting. From 2002, the Eli Roth movie. Oh, nice. Yes. And, uh, you know, the IMDb synopsis, five college graduates rent a cabin in the woods and begin to fall victim to a horrifying flesh-eating virus, which attracts the unwanted attention of the homicidal locals, which is, you know, okay, I guess it's kind of true. Um, it's one of those movies that tonally is so weird that it's a horror movie but it's kind of got this very broad comedy but it's not a comedy and i think right. you can totally see how 
Roth's love and influence from Last House on the Left is in this movie because not only does it use the music from Last House, as I recall, but it also just totally has that sort of weird vibe where you go from this extreme, disturbing gore and violence to this, you know, this kind of weirdly broad comedy at times, you know? And, mm-hmm. and, and so I just remember there's a couple of, of moments, uh, one in particular involving the shaving of a leg that is just, oh, that kind of stuff always just, <laughs> yeah. you know, things involving, the more subtle gore, the more subtle brutality of, of moments like that have always gotten me yeah. to get under my skin, no pun intended. And, you know, you've got, <laughs> it, it stars Ryder Strong, who at that point I only knew from Boy Meets World, right? That was right. the only thing I knew him from. And so it's got Jordan Ladd in it, who we mentioned uh, not that long ago in uh, the Satanic Panic review that we did. And it, it's just, it's a weird, fun movie in, in its own way. I, I just remember having a really good time. And I remember I got it on DVD shortly after it came out and uh, Roth did a uh, commentary that I just listened to multiple times because I just, he's one of those guys who, however you feel about his movies, which I sort of have my own opinions, but I definitely cannot question his love for the genre and that he just just loves making movies. Like I just, I think he really does. So Cabin Fever for me is my number 10. I always think of that joke set up at the beginning. It, it seems like a horrible moment with uh, this uh, shopkeeper. Oh yeah, the racist and he's asked joke. Why he yeah. has the gun over the yes, yes, <laughs> over the counter? Yeah, um, and then to just sort of set that up at the very end. Yes, I thought was was pretty cool. But the movie itself, yes, it's a good one. Yeah, and just some of the places it ends up going are so. <laughs> just disturbing yes, and great. absolutely yeah, it's and again the friends sort of uh, you know turning on each other yes yeah that's a really interesting aspect to it as well yeah mm-hmm. that i really enjoyed all right so let's move right into number nine all right so dave your number nine cabin fever no actually <laughs> it is not my number 10 was from 2009 my number nine is from 2000 and it is a film that I was lucky enough to see in the theater. Uh, a co-worker of mine had tipped me off on it. And uh, the two of us went after work one day to see it. And I loved the concept. I loved the ideas that it presented. And I loved how it sort of made you wonder who the true monster was. And it is 2000's Shadow of the Vampire. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. Which is the making of Nosferatu. It's set in the 20s. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Malkovich plays F.W. Murnau. And Willem Dafoe plays a vampire posing as Max Schreck, the actor, <laughs> playing a vampire in the movie. <laughs> uh, for To bring a realism to his film, F.W. Murnau has drafted a real vampire and set him loose on his crew unknowingly and or, or not unknowingly i'm sure he knew something like this was going to happen if you bring a real vampire into the mix but it has two awesome performances you know malkovich is great as Murnau. willem dafoe is even better as shrek slash the vampire the give and take between the two of them i mean i was laughing out loud in the theater and there were only about eight people in the theater laughing out loud because Murnau is relating to the vampire as an actor and the vampire couldn't care less <laughs> um, when when Renau, uh, when the vampire says that he won't travel by water and Murnau says, then you will have no close-ups. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always laughed. I laughed out loud at that moment. There are other moments like that, but I think it also has a very troubling ending. 
And it really does make you question who is the monster in this movie. Obviously, the vampire is a monster, but maybe not by his own doing. I mean, there's a great scene with the vampire um, where he sort of laments the fact that he's alone and he's not exactly sure how he got that way. He can't remember anymore. But then you have F.W. Murnau, who has exposed his crew, some of whom paid the ultimate price for his art. Is the final result, I guess, worth the price? And for Murnau, it is because this is his art and he thinks he can control something. And there's a great scene where he realizes he is not the one in control. I absolutely love this film and I could watch it anytime. And it makes for a great double feature. And I don't know which to watch first. Do you watch Shadow of the Vampire first or do you watch Nosferatu first? I don't think it matters, but I think they make a great uh, double feature. I would say Nosferatu because I think you'll be able to appreciate Shadow of the Vampire more. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, because true you'll, because you'll they be really do up on more. Yeah, they really do copy some of those scenes perfectly. Yeah, great pick, Dave. Thank you. All right, Wolfman, what you got? Number nine, maybe a little too totally. <laughs> um, let's see. <laughs> My number nine is also a vampire film. Uh, it's not that vampire film. This is a movie that is based on a comic book series, and it's set in Alaska. And it was something that I was very much looking forward to. And at the time that I saw it, I was kind of disappointed coming out of the film. But over time, it's just grown on me and grown on me. And I love 30 Days of Night. That's great. Oh, yes. That almost made. It, it, yep. Spoiler, it did not make my list, but that almost yes, did. I yes. love that movie, too. It is. It's so much. What a great idea of vampires. They even say, why don't we do this sooner? Of going to a town that doesn't get sunlight for 30 right. days. It's awesome. Yeah. For me, it's the premise above all else. You know, I, again, I love the setting, as you mentioned, Dave, the snowy setting, having spent time in Alaska during the time of no light. I can relate to what these characters are going through, and it's just a incredible idea for a vampire series. It's why the comic books are so good. I also really like the sequel, although they, you know, it's set in New Orleans, I believe. But um, yeah, I think it's worth checking out. 30 Days of Night. I think it's Josh Hartnett's probably second or third best performance after uh, The Faculty and Halloween H2O. Uh, I, I only like him in about four movies, and this is one of them. Uh, Sin City, I guess, would be the the fourth. Right. But yeah, I, I really enjoy uh, him in this movie. and I love the vampires in this movie. I yes, really yeah, do. They're I think feral they're, they're, and vicious. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've, I said as, as a joke before that everybody who wishes, you know, after seeing twilight that they could run into a vampire. I hope that the one they run into is from 30 days of night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We should also say we did cover this on our feral vampires episode, which was episode 11 of horror movie podcast. One of our very first themed episodes, episode 11. Wow. That was a wow. long time ago. That is a long time. Yeah. All right. Check it out. So my number nine, here it is. So uh, keeping with the trend of what is probably perceived as, as more uh, brutal type horror, uh, my number nine is from 2004, and it spawned a franchise, but I haven't seen any of them other than the original, of which I'm a huge fan, and that's Saw. Wow. Yep. I, I love nice. that first movie. It's dark. It's bleak. It's 
violent, but man, is it engaging. And the mystery was great. I remember just the twists and turns that it takes you at the time did not see coming. And, you know, uh, for the few that don't know what Saw is about, it's two strangers awakened in a room with no recollection of how they got there. But soon they discover they are pawns in a deadly game perpetrated by a notorious serial killer. So it's sort of the the ultimate, I guess you could say, morality tale. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. uh, it's you know, got great performances from uh, Lee Winnell, uh, who wrote it uh, along with James Wan, who this is his, I guess it's technically not, according to IMDb, it's not his directorial debut because I know he did a short of this. And then before that, it looks like I don't know if it was a student film, but it looks like he did do a feature before Saw. But I would say this is his first, I'm using air quotes here, real feature film. Right. But Lee Winnell, I think, gives a great performance and Carrie Elwes and, and Danny Glover. I mean, just it's on the level of like a seven where it's just this gritty dark, disturbing horror mystery that uh, I just really enjoyed. So that's my number nine. That's a good pick. I haven't seen many of the sequels either, but I am a fan of the of the first movie. And it's like you're saying, as a morality tale. And the reason why these people are chosen, um, I think, is it adds another layer to the film. Yeah. I've always equated this film with Saw. Or, pff, I've always equated this film with Seven as well. Yeah. They feel like uh, kissing cousins. The look and the feel of both of them to me is is there's a there is a, a gritty griminess to them that uh, that really helps add to the the, the horror and, and how disturbing everything gets. Well, kind of the, the, the MO of the crimes that we see kind of get played out or similar sure. to. Sure, that's true. No, that's true. Yes. So Saw from 2004 is my number nine. Let's move on in to number eight. What do you got for number eight, Dave? My number eight is a very personal choice. The sequel, I think, is a better made film, but this is one that I just absolutely love it. And uh, Josh already mentioned the sequel. So my number eight is House of a Thousand Corpses. Nice. Uh, Rob Zombie's first film. The first of many Rob Zombie movies I've never been able to finish. <laughs> right. <laughs> and not because I was offended, but just because I'm like, yeah, I just, I got things to do. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, I can't do it. I don't, and I, I respect him so much as an artist and as an entrepreneur. Like I love that guy, but for whatever mm -hmm. reasons, man, I just can't get into his movies. And I don't know. I feel like I'm the problem. I really do. I feel like I'm the problem. We agree with you by that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I'm sure many do. <laughs> <laughs> this is a Halloween film for me. And it's, it's interesting because my Halloween films have always been Halloween Eve, House of a Thousand Corpses, Halloween Night, Devil's Rejects. I'm going to have to back that up now because uh, I'll watch the whole trilogy uh, in successive nights. Nice. But anyway, this one goes back to 1977. Two friends with their girlfriends are on a road trip and they're trying to find roadside attractions of, you know, these look for these horror landmarks. They go into a gas station slash uh, museum of monsters and madmen owned by Captain Spaulding, played by Sid Haig, a clown in, in clown makeup. It's iconic now, I think. And they learn about mm -hmm. a local legend of Dr. Satan, who was supposedly hanged for conducting these illegal, brutal experiments on his patients. What they're trying to find where Dr. Satan was executed, uh, they have a problem with their car. They pick up Baby along the way, played by Sherry Moon Zombie. And something happens with their car. And she says, oh, my brother has a, has a tow truck. And they end up back at the house at baby's house with her family and well let's just say it's not your normal family um definite throwback i guess to texas chainsaw massacre in that way 
it, it this one it did mess with my head the first time I saw it. Initially, they were going to give this an NC-17, the MPAA, and you know the the studio wasn't going to release it. I mean, this was shot in 2000; it wasn't released until 2003. So it's even more brutal than it ends up being, and it is a mm. brutal film. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, with the characters that are introduced, and yeah, I mean, this one that uh, I do think the Devil's Rejects is the better of the two films. I really do, but. I love House of a Thousand Corpses. I just love the tone of it. I love the style of it. I think Rob Zombie really showed that this was this he was a director to watch. And mm-hmm. I was thinking about this movie for days afterwards. So yeah, this is it's that's my number eight. I am going to commit to you, Dave. I'm going to sit mm-hmm. down and I'm going to give that movie a chance from beginning to okay. end. I will not quit now that I have a reason okay. to. <laughs> <laughs> now, that right. now that I'm a co-host on an actual horror movie podcast and I have a reason to do it, I'm going to make myself sit down and watch it from beginning to end. All right. Okay. I actually just recently watched this uh, leading up to our Funhouse episode because I was trying to figure out if it was going to fit, you know, that mm-hmm. setting. And I think it does. I think it's worth discu- worth entering into the discussion. But um, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I feel like that film's not quite as grating as some of the, his other films. And for me, it's really, I mean, he goes out of his way to make the films grading with the sound design and a lot of the visuals, but the ones that just kind of bother me is it's more about the dialogue. I just can't get over some of just kind of the screeching white trash. Dialogue. Oh, you know, and honestly that, that a lot of it was my, me as well. The same with devil's rejects. I, I was watching it. It's just like the back and forth. And I was like, Hey, vey, I can't even. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, is I, he, he is an artist though. He really is a yes. true artist. And, uh, and I don't know. Yeah. I have a lot of respect yeah, for him. I, I do. I do. He, he's, he doesn't make it easy on you, but I feel like if he lures you in, then I feel like it, he works. It works at least for me. Okay. Uh, I will give it another chance. I'll give it another chance. So speaking of giving mm-hmm. people a chance, Wolfman, your number eight. Yeah. Uh, my number eight is a film. <laughs> it's another vampire movie. Uh, this one, though, is a South Korean vampire film, and it is called Thirst from mm. 2009. I think this is a really disturbing movie that has, like a lot of South Korean films, just a really weird tone where it goes between, this one at least, goes between an extremely bleak, almost like soulless serial killer film to basically comedy by the end. I mean, it is a really <laughs> weird mix of tones, but it somehow pulls it off. And I just think that's what I love so much about South Korean cinema. I don't know if it's something ingrained in their culture that I just don't get, but every time I see their films, I'm impressed by that uniqueness of tone. And uh, thirst is just an extremely creative take on a vampire tale fun is maybe not the right word for it but it is kind of fun hmm. i've never seen this so i i've never you know what i have not seen thirst either but uh, the korean movies in the last i guess 15 years uh, yeah. or maybe just even in the last 10 years have been amazing i mean i can't believe neither of you guys have seen this no i've not i've not seen it and I, i've known about it but i've just never seen it was it 2009 is that the thirst that's right yeah okay. it's park chen wook it's the director of old boy okay so if you yeah, i've seen him like old boy or the handmaiden you'll probably enjoy thirst i have not seen um, this old boy i love old boy yeah I, I think if you like old boy you'll like this it's more horror 
and a little bit more bleak, but um, there's some moments in where it feels like kind of that kind of grimy saw aesthetic mm-hmm. at times. And it is really dark at times, but it also is just kind of weirdly funny. And then it gets just straight up hilarious at the end, like kind of goofy funny. But um, yeah, I don't know. Just a incredibly singular film experience, unlike any other vampire film and one that I really enjoyed. Nice. Awesome. I'm, I'm anxious to see it now. Yeah. Yeah. All right. My turn. I, I have my, my number eight. I, I can say with all confidence, neither of you will have. I guarantee it. There's no way. <laughs> I am I am fairly confident. Um, <laughs> if you ask me why I picked this, and this is one of those that I feel is somewhat interchangeable. Like this title could have been my number 10. It could have been you know, maybe a little higher up. It could have even theoretically been an honorable mention in that I have some movies in my honorable mentions that are what I would argue much better overall movies. But for whatever reason, I really liked this movie. I remember reading about when it came out at the time, and I can't remember what the reason was, but there was a reason why this got delayed. And it is Cherry Falls from 2000. Which, oh, wow, that's so interesting. We just had a listener recommend that film the other day, hmm. and I'd never heard of it even. I no, love, I haven't either. I love this movie. It stars, uh, it's directed by Jeffrey Wright, the one who did Romper Stomper. And it's got Brittany Murphy in it, Jay Moore, Michael Beans in it. Um, it mm. And it's a post-scream horror movie. And what was cool about it at the time, what I appreciated was, you know, it came a few years after Scream. So, you know, at this point, we've had, I know what you did last summer, Urban Legends, right? We had Valentine, I think. Valentine may have come out after this, but right around the same. Was Valentine 2000? It was close. It's in that ballpark. I mean, but we'd had that run of the post-Scream knockoff type movies, including Scream 2 and and things like that. And so Mm -hmm. this had an element to it where it was kind of self-aware but not in the same way like it it felt more like a traditional slasher film and specifically Mm -hmm. the premise and i'll just read it off imdb is in the small town of cherry falls a psychotic murder is killing off the virgins of the local high school so at the Mm. time it was a cool idea that they took the concept of of course you know the final girl is usually virginal or at least the impression of and in you know the in slasher films always you know it's the the promiscuous kids that were getting off well in this one they're the ones that are safe and as i recall without giving anything away a lot of it is culminating into a lot of the kids realizing it's like get rid of your virginity as fast as possible if you want to stay alive so uh it's that's funny yeah it's like in satanic panic yes uh, yes gary o'connell's character tries to play that card yeah yes (laughs) yes right But it was, uh, you know, Brittany Murphy, I remember being really good in it. It's been a while. Jesse Bradford, who I think is a good actor, is in it. Candy Clark uh, has a a small part. It is just a fun slasher movie in a time when you had a lot of movies coming out that were obviously riding the, the wave of Scream success. And this one, unfortunately... I remember falling a bit by the wayside that it really didn't get much attention. And I think it was going to get a theatrical release and then it didn't, it, it got for whatever reason, I can't remember what the, the scandal was. There was some issue though, that was connected to, I don't know if it was something about its rating that there was just too much stuff in it. And they had to cut it kind of like the house of a thousand corpses thing, Dave, uh, where it was going to get an NC 17, um, which I guess uh. is somewhat fitting. Cause if I'm not mistaken, it was a romper snapper. Didn't it get an NC 17 or something close to that at one point? Hmm. 
I, I see romper, romper stomper the rust the russell crowe yeah the neo-nazi movie yeah, yeah right yeah so uh it, it's but it's a it's a fun slasher movie it's got a good mystery element i actually think you dig it quite a bit josh now a lot of this i'm pulling from memory because i haven't seen it in a long time but i am going to revisit this one soon because i just remember enjoying it quite a bit yeah one of our listeners recommended that just a couple days ago and I have never heard of it until that day. Wow. So, interesting. interesting. I would actually, th- I would have thought this would have been on your radar. Like this seems like, cause a mystery element. And well, I, this was during the time when I was living over in Europe and traveling a lot. Okay. So I, that's I missed a lot of movies. Yeah, but. that's fair. But it, uh, I think I'd love to hear your take on it. It'd be fun to cover this at some point. Yeah. Nice. Cool. All right. That brings us to number seven. <laughs> so what you got, Dave? Number seven, number seven is a movie that I think is uh, has some amazing fantasy sequences in it, but it is also a legitimate horror film. It is Pan's Labyrinth by Guillermo del Toro. Great movie. I saw this in the theater and it blew me away. I remember uh, it was Orson Welles. He had done this series on silent films. He didn't do it. He was he was the he introduced the silent films. I think it was on TV back in the early seventies because that's what the video looks like anyway that I see on YouTube. And when he was giving his, uh, I guess, introduction to the the original Thief of Baghdad from the nineteen twenties with Douglas Fairbanks Sr., he said that fantasy is not usually his thing because he never thinks that the the imagination of the director is ever fully conveyed. Mm-hmm. So he he doesn't really get into fantasy films. And I remember after hearing that thinking, what a shame that he never saw Terry Gilliam or Guillermo del Toro. With right. Gilliam, I was thinking Time Bandits. You could have thought of any film. And the same with del Toro, but I'm thinking Pan's Labyrinth. I would have liked to have seen what Orson Welles had to say after seeing Pan's Labyrinth. Because I think it is an incredibly imaginative film mm-hmm. that also deals with real world issues. And this is like for this young girl who is torn between these two worlds of, of fantasy and reality. The reality is more frightening than the fantasy. She has a stepfather who's extremely brutal. He's, he's a, a military man. Uh, married the mother. Really wants a son to carry on the family name. And this girl, they move to this big house. She gets swept up by a fawn-like character played by Doug Jones to, I guess, into this world, uh, this fantasy world where there's certain rules and certain things that she has to do. And yet you don't know where she's safer. Is she safer in the real world or is she safer in the fantasy or is she safe in neither one? Because Mm. there, there are definite perils in both of them. Mm. Uh, I just thought it was an incredibly imaginative film. I thought it was in- incredibly realized. I still think it's Del Toro's best work. Me personally, I know he's done, um, you know, Shape of Water, um, won the Oscar and everything. But for me, I think Pan's Labyrinth will is thus far his masterpiece. Mm-hmm. I don't disagree with you, uh, Dave. And this is a minor spoiler from my list. There were three films which are were my top three. And all three of those, I was debating whether or not they were horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> but I, and I, this one, I left off my list. I have no qualms about you having it on your list, though. And I, I agree with everything you said. Had I included this on my list, it would have been my number two, probably. Mm. Just saying. But I decided wow. I'm going to go. Well, basically, I was going to say I was going to go more overtly horror, but that's not true. Because I my two my top two, I was unsure of. <laughs> 
<laughs> I felt like I felt like I couldn't have my top three be completely untrue. So, well, this I mean, is this, the one. this this has a lot of fantasy in it. It really does, yeah. and you could make the argument that it's definitely more of a fantasy film than it is a horror film. But I think when you see what her real life situation is, and when this girl is dealing with certain things, yeah, in this oh, fantasy world, yeah. yeah, I think that the horror elements are strong. I do not begrudge you this placement and hopefully people will not begrudge me my number one. <laughs> well, we can't promise that Josh, but I will say that right. the pale man by himself puts this thing oh, yeah. in, into the oh, horror yeah. territory. Cause that, that is just a nightmare vision for me personally. I would say this is one of my favorite del Toro movies, but the devil's backbone would probably rank higher for me as a horror movie, but I do very much appreciate Pants Labyrinth. It's a beautiful. And the Devil's Backbone is awesome. Yeah, I, I agree yeah. with you. I love that movie yeah. too. And yeah. that was that one just missed my top fifteen also. So yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so Josh, what okay. is your next pick? All right, this is where I feel like my picks get really quirky. Thirst is a quirky pick, but I I think this is the one where when I put it on my list, I'm like, oh, people are going to, this is, it's not quite Wicker Man, but there are people who loathe this film. I personally love Johnny Depp in From Hell from 2001. Mm. I think it is such a weird, amazingly realized vision of horror um and i love just the setting you know i'm a big sherlock holmes fan so to have something kind of in that time period that feels like a mystery kind of trying to unravel uh who jack the ripper is that's a really cool world to inhabit and it's extremely disgusting and gory when it goes there and i love johnny depp this is before when it was still safe to say that you love johnny depp without people hating you because of uh his overacting or hating you because of his personal life um i i loved this movie and uh i would have liked this again was based on a graphic novel series and i would have liked to see more films in the series from these directors i just thought what a cool unique film i have never um, seen from hell I remember it. I remember when it came out and I can't explain why I never saw this movie. Huh. I'm yeah, with you a- though, Josh. I, I'm with you. I saw this in the theater. My brother and I went and saw it. Um, he cringed every time you heard that knife, mm-hmm. you know, that, that sort of knife. And, and he had a little bit of a hard time with that. He's not a horror fan, right? but I loved it. And the story of Jack the Ripper, obviously, I don't know that I, I go what the ultimate sort of, revelation is at the end i don't necessarily think that's the way it went but the incredibly realized set i mean this Mm. the way that they created that that set of the Whitechapel district from that time yes it it lives i mean it it does that is as as much i think toward the success of this movie as any of the other aspects this the set is amazing Mm -hmm. and i absolutely love that and yeah i'm a fan of this movie too i don't begrudge you this one because i didn't think to put it on my list but i am a very big fan of it as well the hughes brothers who directed it they're probably best known for their films dealing with kind of like gang culture they did menace to society was their big breakout and right. they did dead presidents was their follow-up uh this was their film after that and it i think it surprised a lot of people that they went to the horror realm they're great horror directors and they also did the book of eli which is a post-apocalyptic film I that i really that enjoy yeah that's a great yeah. Movie. i feel like these guys could be some of the great horror filmmakers out there i think it was just kind of unexpected from these 
two African-American brothers who had worked kind of in, you know, the world of gang films up until that mm-hmm. point. I have got to see this movie. I can't believe I, I, I remember when it came out and until you just brought it up, I had completely forgotten about it. Man. Oh, dude, nah, yeah. yeah. I need absolutely to, I need to see it, this. Definitely. I'm fascinated by the whole Jack the Ripper thing and everything. I just honestly, I have no good reason why I never saw this movie. Oh yeah. I mean, I will, Dave kind of alluded to it. I think the solution to the Jack the Ripper storyline is probably, one of the reasons that this film hasn't become a classic it's i don't know if disappointing is the right word but it's just it's a bit much i guess again right. this is kind of a quirky quirky choice but i i think the journey is worth watching this movie i mean the, it as dave said the richness to the environment this production design uh, the costumes it's so immersive and the filmmaking is really strong so yeah, cool definitely one i'd recommend excellent all right so my number seven, it's a werewolf movie. I'm representing Wolfman. Yeah. I, I, I wonder if you can figure out which one I'm going to say, because it's 2000s Ginger Snaps. Mm, not a fan. You're so very nearly made <laughs> no, my Josh, also. did you say you're not a fan? You know what? I I don't, I need, I did a it deserves a rewatch by okay. me. Okay. Yeah, I will say that. I, re- I love this movie. I remember, I love the sequels to this movie. I liked all three the, of them. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. It was something about the werewolf movies of this era that everyone loves. Dog Soldiers is another one. Mm-hmm. I just could not get into the werewolf films of this era. I'm not sure why. I have committed already to rewatching Dog Soldiers to our listeners. Um, I, I own it now. And Ginger Snaps is certainly one that I... Uh, Oh, a rewatch too. So. Yeah, but it, tell me about it, Joel. I'm okay, excited. Okay, to hear so your so take. Ginger Snaps. It's uh, according to IMDb, two death obsessed sisters, outcasts in their suburban neighborhood, must deal with the tragic consequences when one of them is bitten by a deadly werewolf. And what I remember loving about this movie, uh, it's the dynamic of the two sisters, played by Emily Perkins and uh, Catherine Isabel, and their relationship and the way. It really is dealing with that that teenage uh, alienation um, and life in suburbia. I feel like in the 90s and into the early 2000s, we got a lot of that, a lot of dramas and things that dealt with that topic. But this is a, a horror movie that's dealing with it. And on top of that, it's directly metaphorically connected to uh, you know femininity and, and to what uh, specifically one character, who I won't say who, uh, is going through. Um, I mean, I imagine you could probably figure it out if nothing else from the, from the title. <laughs> but uh, it, it's, a, it's just, it's a, interesting take on an old idea that I just remember. I love the setting. I loved that. You know, these girls without giving it away, but the way the movie starts, it's very Harold and Maud in that they stage these really grisly, uh, gory death scenarios. And, uh, it's just, it's a, it's a fun werewolf movie. And it's been a long time since I've seen this one. I saw the sequels when they came out. I think they went straight to video. I'm pretty confident in that, but they starred the same actors, uh, in, in those key roles. And what was cool about it is as I remember two, I remember less about though. I seem to remember being set in an asylum. Three is actually a period piece that takes place in the 1800s and it's them playing sisters. I believe they're still sisters in that scenario, but it's a totally, totally different characters and they're not connected. It's almost like it's anthology that's dealing with similar themes and ideas, but in totally different settings and contexts. Um, But yeah, it's uh, uh, just a fun movie. Ginger snaps from 2000. That is my pick for number seven. 
I mentioned when we did our 90s list, I wasn't a fan of Sarah Michelle Geller when we were talking about Buffy. Mm-hmm. I think that was one of the big things is uh, Catherine Isabel is an actress. She just, I don't know, she's always bugged me for some reason. So I, the one movie of hers that I enjoyed the movie a lot, uh, despite her involvement, <laughs> was Insomnia from 2002, which I'll call that a thriller, even though. The Nolan film? You're talking about Christopher Nolan's Insomnia? Christopher Nolan okay. movie. I mean, I like the original as well, the Stone Skarsgård film, but yeah, she's in the Nolan remake, okay. which I also love. I love both versions of that okay. film. But, um, well, honestly, for me, Emily Perkins, who actually played, I believe, young Bev in the original It miniseries, uh, mm. yeah, she is fantastic. I think she's great too. Cool. Um, I like them both in it, but yeah, it's, and I remember really liking The Werewolf. It's, it's a different design, but I, and I, mm-hmm. and I'm fairly confident that, and I, I, cause again, it's been a lot of times I've seen it, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't remember there being a ton of CGI. No, it was, it was practical. Uh, this was mostly practical effects. It's one of the things the director, oh, yeah, yeah. And I remember really liking that too. Yeah. Director wanted to do with it. And um, no, I'm with you, Joel. I'm a fan. This this very nearly made my list also, but it didn't because it had just been a long time since I've seen it. Mm-hmm. But for everything you said, I mean, the sort of coming of age, of, uh, this is an extreme coming of age yes, sort of film is. when you get down to the the results of, of what happens. Uh, but no, I'm... I, liked it and i i like ginger snaps too i don't know that i've seen the third one yeah. but i did like the sequel also which is i think called unleashed yes i believe uh, right. i like that one quite a bit as well um but i definitely want to see the third one now because a period piece with these same characters that that sounds pretty incredible actually yeah it's uh, ginger snaps back the beginning from 2004 it's a set in 19th century canada bridget and her sister ginger take refuge in a trader's fort which later becomes under siege by some savage werewolves so you got a siege nice. narrative, you got the 1800s kind of uh, ravenous sort of vibe. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Um, awesome. Yeah, and also just uh, let everybody cool. know, Ginger Snaps is currently available on Prime. Looks like for free if you got a Prime membership. Oh, awesome. We are getting there. This next one is number six. My number six film is just a movie that absolutely blew me away. Uh, there was, this is, it's a foreign film. There was an American remake that was really just sort of savage that I've actually never seen, but it didn't even give me a lot of hope for the original either. And when I saw it, it absolutely blew me away with, there are just more than a handful of scenes in this film. I think that really bring the horror and this is from Hong Kong by the Pang Brothers. It is 2002's The Eye. Oh, yeah. That's and a good the one. setup is a, a girl named Moon. Uh, she's been blind since she was two. She undergoes a, a corneal transplant operation to restore her eyesight. It's a success. But then she starts seeing things. Now, for someone who's never seen things initially... You know, she's not 100% sure what to make of what she's now seeing. This is the first time she's ever actually, you know, her vision has ever worked. But she's seeing things that nobody else can. Well, it turns out that she can see the dead. Who the spirits have, you know, either just departed or are trapped in, in this realm. They're haunt, you know, they're ghosts. Well, she... You know, so she's dealing with this. Not only can she now see, but she is seeing things nobody else can see and is forced to deal with that. There are so many 
if you're if if you're a supernatural fan, this is this is one that this has so many scenes in it. I uh, think of one in particular where she's sitting at a desk and is confronted by the previous person at that desk. Uh, she's sitting in a restaurant and she notices this very strange being come walking in. Uh, happens many times. There's a very suspenseful scene set in an elevator. Oh, I remember that. So yes. many strong scenes in this film. And, you know, this this was at a time when when Asian horror was was sort of uh, had really taken hold in a way. And for me, this is one of the best entries that they had. I mean, I this movie just really surprised me and I love it. And yeah, it's my number six is The Eye from 2002. If you haven't seen it, definitely see it. I haven't seen great that pick. I haven't seen that in years, man, but I remember loving it. That is a great pick. Yeah. Yeah. Great pick. Yeah, the visuals in that were amazing. In fact, I think I saw this and The Devil's Backbone the same weekend. Oh, nice. Yeah, they were either, I remember just seeing them, I think they were both in the foreign section, but seeing them and just being like, wow, these, these look interesting. Right. And yeah. I didn't see the, the remake because I heard nothing good about it, to be honest with you. And, and I don't want to... This is almost like a poltergeist situation where I don't want to yeah, see the remake sully. of poltergeist. Don't I the... don't want to see the remake of the <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Excellent pick, man. All right, Josh. Very cool. Number six. Okay, uh, my number six is a film we talked about just over a year ago on episode 150 of Horror Movie Podcast. That was our Killing in the Name of Part One, and it is Frailty. Mm. And it mm. is a little bit light on the horror, the straight ahead, in your face horror. I'll call it visceral horror for the purposes of this discussion. Um, and it has a little bit of a made for TV movie look to it. But other than that, I think this is still highly watchable. I, th- I love the tone of the film. I love the themes, especially of the film are fascinating. It's basically the story of a father from per- the perspective of a son trying to decide whether or not this dad's visions of demons are real or a figment of his imagination. And these children are asked to participate in the killing of people that their father tells them are demons. That was a very convoluted explanation, (laughs) but hopefully that came through. And again, we have our full feature review on episode 150 of HMP. One of my favorite movies. This was the movie uh, that I saw Matthew McConaughey in right before the McConaughey Renaissance. And I thought, Oh, this guy's actually a good actor. (laughs) that's a strong pick yeah i I, you know what i remember the first time seeing it i wasn't as enamored by it but then when i saw it again i was like yeah this is a really strong film and again the misdirection i don't want to go any further with that but yeah you know it's it's great in in that way as well bill paxton is just one of my favorite actors of all time don't forget to mention he directed it he was a director. Yeah. So uh, directed, I, I yeah. will say, um, this is all I'm going to say for the time being. I now hate you both. And, uh, well, really not both. I guess just Josh. And uh, <laughs> I, I now don't feel bad at all. I'm just going to say, that's all I'm going <laughs> to That's all I'm going to say. Nice. Well, hurts, don't it, Joel? Uh, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> so, you know, I worked on, I've told the story a million times, I'm sure, but I just, I'll briefly mention here because I don't know if Joel has been on when I've said it. Um, I worked on a movie 
I shot the behind the scenes documentary, I should say, for a horror film that Bill Butler, the DP of Jaws, shot. Oh, wow. he also shot Frailty for Bill Paxton. Oh, that's right, yeah. And I was going around as one of the special features for the behind the scenes that I was shooting. They wanted me to ask everyone on the crew what their favorite horror film was. So I just went around and asked everybody what their favorite scary movie was. And he said, it's actually a movie that I shot. And I was like, he's going to say Jaws. He said, <laughs> frailty. I was like, what? Awesome. That's so cool. <laughs> that is very cool. That is yeah. very, very cool. Yeah, that's great. All right. So my number six, I won't feel bad if either of you have it higher up <clears throat> for no petty reason. <laughs> My number six is a movie that really needs no introduction, I'm sure, to the, the listeners and fans of HMP. And that is 28 Days Later from 2002. Nice. I mean, come on. Nice one. Uh, four week, pick. Yeah, four weeks after a mysterious and curable virus spreads throughout the UK, a handful of survivors try to find Sanctuary, directed by Dandy Boyle, written by Alex Garland, star- starring a guy whose first name I can never say correctly, but I think is it Cillian? Is that... <laughs> Mm-hmm. Okay. Killian, I oh, Killian. Is it, well, you're, see, that's what throws me. The C makes me want to say a s- sound. So Killian Murphy, yeah. Uh, yeah, Naomi Harris, Christopher Eccleston. It's a really great movie. It's interesting. I watched bits of it not that long ago, and they shot it video, right? It was, it was uh, one of those early or mm-hmm. video shot films and yeah. it, it does kind of show now at least the at least where I was watching it. It didn't it, it, I mean, I think it showed even back then, but I think the point was like, hey, look, we can shoot this on a mini DV tape yeah. in SD, and it's still a good movie. Yes, exactly. But I think it's fun because it's obviously not a found footage movie, but that adds to the aesthetic, and probably in similar ways to how Texas Chainsaw Massacre works really yeah. well because it has that almost documentary, just grimy right. feel to it. So I think the yep. fact that this has that shot on video look without looking amateurish or cheesy or anything like that uh, but it's an effective movie i am a fan and always will be of slow shambling zombies as far as zombies go but personally and we're not going to get into this right now i know it's a whole debate that goes on forever i don't consider these zombies first off the zombies even living dead are not zombies they're ghouls but i digress oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh. this guy this guy I'm not gonna get into it i'm just gonna say something super controversial and then just move on <laughs> this is a virus infection movie and i love it i think it's a fantastic movie uh i remember seeing this in the theater and just just being on the edge of my seat just squirming and uh it's suspenseful as hell it's a, it's a great film so that is my pick 28 days later I cannot Very argue well. with you, Joel. I th- this was one of the difficulties of making this particular list is we were in kind of the heyday of zombie movies. Mm-hmm. You know, right around the time Twenty Eight Days Later came out, we also had the first issue of The Walking Dead came out. Mm-hmm. We have some other films which I won't mention in case they're on other people's <laughs> list, but there are a lot of zombie movies yes. coming out in the early two thousands yes. and a lot of really great zombie movies. I'm not sure that this is the one that would have made my list, mm-hmm. um, but great pick i you know i it doesn't get much better than that one of my favorite episodes we did with kyle bishop was back on horror movie podcast episode 58 it's called the infected narrative we covered both 28 days later and 28 weeks later and we get into the debate that uh you just kind of glossed I, I, over. I was going to say that I was avoiding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think at the end of the day, when you're talking about people losing all sense of autonomy and they're just running you down, trying to eat you, whether they're moving faster. So does it really matter? I mean, I guess it doesn't. <laughs> it's still horrifying yeah. and terrifying and uh, it's effective. So yeah, I, I love it. It's a great movie. 
And I see back here on episode 58, we had a short discussion about bath salt zombies in Florida. Is there any update on that, Joel? <laughs> uh, there isn't any update, though. I have heard it through the grapevine. I have certain connections uh, to law enforcement and other things, but I, I do know that bath salts are very much still a thing, apparently, and uh, mm. it's uh, flabbergasting and you know, nothing more horrifying than, I'm sure, walking in and finding somebody trained to literally gnaw off the face of someone. And that, oh. and that has been straight up happened. Yeah, it's pretty, Oof. pretty jacked up. Yep. I will put just to let people know, I will put links to that episode and any other movie that we touch on from either retro movie geek, horror movie podcast or DVD infatuation. I'll try to get all those links in the show notes at horrormoviepodcast.com. Awesome. Hey, horror fans. We're going to take a little break from our lists before we move on to number five for some additional Halloween tricks and treats. This is Wolfman Josh. Normally, Gilman Joel would be your MC for this type of thing, but although we recorded this episode way back before Dr. Shock had his surgery, I am just editing around the clock to get these episodes out to you, and it is currently October 30th, Halloween Eve. And Joel was not available to record this intro, so I thought I'd do that. And speaking of Halloween treats, I've got with me here some Count Chocula, Frankenberry, and booberry. Now, I thought, well, how am I going to decide which of these to enjoy while I edit this Halloween episode of Horror Movie Podcast? And I thought, I'll just have one bowl for each campfire tale. Three campfire tales, three bowls of cereal, and then it turned out there's only two campfire tales. And then I thought, you know, probably shouldn't be eating this anyway. Maybe I shouldn't indulge to that extent. So instead, what I decided to do... I don't know if this has ever been attempted, but when I was in high school, and we go to the local gas station or 7-Eleven or what have you, we would mix together all of our favorite drinks, and we called that a suicide. You'd just go ahead and mix every drink there available on the fountain drink stand. Well, I'm going to attempt, as far as I know, the first ever General Mills, <laughs> not sponsored, Count Chocula, Frankenberry, and Booberry Suicide. So I'm going to pour these into my bowl here. A little bit of each. Count Chocula. Some Frankenberry. That is the Booberry. So. A little milk. We're ready to rock and roll. Okay, we've got two excellent campfire tales for you here today. I put a call out on Twitter, and I said whoever sent in the best campfire tale would earn this spot here on the show and would also get a double pack of Creepy Cabin movie giveaways. We had a listener, Neil Gonzarelli, donate several digital downloads to us for giveaways, but in this case... Cabin in the Woods, and the remake of The Evil Dead. So, the winner is Michael Hicks. So, congratulations to Michael. We'll be playing your campfire tale here in a minute. But then we had something unexpected happen. Coleman and his brother Chris, who were on last campfire tales, and told us the scary story of their haunted childhood home, are back. <laughs> Coleman has a follow-up mini-story some additional details about the new family living in that house. It's going to be a creepy good time. So gather around the campfire, dear friends. 
as we enjoy this campfire tale from Michael. I live in Fresno, California. I live on the outskirts of town. And um, I've had some weird occurrences happening at my house and I don't really know what's causing them. And they're all kind of random. Uh, the first one happened in August. It was a Saturday night. I just came home. Uh, I was out having drinks with a friend. I wasn't drunk. <laughs> I don't actually drink that, that much uh, to even get buzzed. I'm not a big drinker, but I came home. I had a bottle of water. I sat down to watch TV and I'm lying on the couch and the bottle is on, sitting on my coffee table and it's not, by now it's completely empty, no condensation, it's bone dry. And I, and you know, it's within my eye line and out of nowhere it just shifts. It moves about an inch on the coffee table by itself. I sat there looking at it for about 30 seconds and then I called my friend and told her what happened. She's thinking, oh, maybe the fan blew it over. I said, no, it didn't knock over. It didn't tip over. It moved. It shifted. And I even took a video shift moving it with my hand to show her how it shifted. Don't know what caused it. Don't know what happened. You know, can't explain it. So I thought, well, okay, so that was odd. Didn't think anything more of it. So maybe about four weeks ago, late September, I'm lying in bed. I turn off the light to go to sleep. Within a minute, I can hear footsteps outside in my backyard. And I was sitting with the window open because it gets nice and cool at night here in Fresno around that time. And my bed is maybe three feet away from the window. It's dark. I can see a silhouette from the moonlight through my, my blinds. But I hear these footsteps. And I'm thinking at first maybe it's a coyote because there's a big field behind my backyard. And I can, you can hear them howling. I'm sure they come into the backyard. but. It was a sound of like a very, almost very precise, specific footsteps going like, and I'm thinking somebody's in my backyard walking through the grass. I can't see any silhouette or shadow of somebody outside. And of course it's too dark outside where I can see through the blind, but I'm waiting for my cat to react. You know, my cat sleeps on my bed with me. And usually when she hears things, she gets alert, but she's sleeping, not waking up, stirring or anything. So I thought, okay, I turn my lamp back on. If someone's outside, they would be able to see my light come on through the window. I leave it on for maybe 30 seconds. I listen, I don't hear anything. I turn the light off and I don't hear the sound again. Little nerve wracking, okay. But I go back, I, I go to sleep. The next morning, I get up at 6 a.m. every morning, go to work. I go through my laundry room. Uh, to my garage. So I open the door to my garage and not only is the light on, but my garage door is wide open. Now I have left the light on in the garage. I have left it on at times, but I have never accidentally left the garage door open all through the night. So I'm, I'm thinking, how did it turn on? How did it? It's, it's uh, an electric uh, door, which means I would have heard it opening but it was open, wide open. I'm standing there at six in the morning in my wide open garage and I'm thinking, did someone case my house? Did someone break in and steal anything? But nothing was taken, everything was there. My car was not broken into, a little weird. Fast forward to last week on Wednesday. I get up, I, I feed my cat in the morning. 
Uh, you know, I don't really turn on any lights in the house except my kitchen, but as I get up, you know, I, 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 I give my cat her food, I look down my hallway, and one of my guest rooms, I have two guest rooms that are on the opposite side of the house from where my bedroom is, one of the guest room doors is open and the light is on. I live by myself, nobody else is ever in the house, and the last time I was in that room was maybe a week and a half ago. I keep the doors closed at all times so that my cat can get in there and scratch the furniture and shed and stuff. I, you know, those doors are closed 24-7. But last Wednesday, the door is open and the light is on. So that's what's been happening at my house. And I don't know what's causing it. I, I even asked my parents, you know, did you happen to stop by? Because, you know, my, my, my parents have a key to my house and, they, you know, there's no reason why they would stop by in the middle of the night or early morning. So they don't know. I didn't tell them why, uh, you know, otherwise they'd panic. But I don't understand what's going on. Like some, and, and my cat doesn't react to things. You know, she, she's very much the type of cat that if she hears something or she sees something, she gets, she's alert. She's, her head, ears are hurt. She wants to know what's happening. I haven't seen that from her at all. So, anyway, that's my story. Um, I, I, you know, maybe you guys can can let me know what you think. Uh, other than that, I really enjoy the podcast. Uh, thank you guys for, for you know not just introducing us to movies that we all have heard of, but there's a lot of horror movies out there that I have not heard of that now thanks to you guys I, I can go watch. Uh, so keep up the good work and uh, happy Halloween. Okay, thank you to Michael for that super scary campfire tale. It's one of those where you can kind of explain away half of the things, but then in combination with the other half, you just are thinking, what? Is it just me or do other people have follow-up questions for these campfire tale folks? Because basically between our group of listeners over the last four episodes, we've confirmed the existence of ghosts, cursed dolls, and with Maurice, UFOs. (laughs) So... I've got questions, folks. Maybe for part of our episode 200 celebration, we can uh, convince a few of these people to call in and let us ask them some follow-up questions. Uh, Michael, I'm glad that we've been able to introduce you to some new films. Here's a movie you should watch. It's called Poltergeist. You have one. Or you've got a person living in your walls, which is probably even more terrifying. You have to have seen those stories about like a college dorm room and a young woman finds a homeless man living in her closet or something like that. Could be a psycho killer. Kiskasay. Bum 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 yeah. Move out Michael, move out right away. Move out of the house, Michael. Move out of your house. Okay. Speaking of houses that you should move out of, we have a follow-up campfire tale from Coleman. If you guys remember from last episode, Coleman talking about the room that his little brother lived in, in their old house, and that there was some kind of terrible disturbance in that room that led to flying Legos and ghost babies crawling into bed and an exorcist coming over to the house. Coleman's family since moved out of the house and he told us that a young family moved in after them. Now Coleman's got some additional information. Hey, Wolfman, it's Coleman Weederhold again. 
the craziest thing happened to me. It's like my brother was home on leave, and we sent in our story. Well, yesterday I was at the dentist just for a cleaning, and it's it's kind of a small town, so people kind of know you. And uh, the lady who was cleaning my teeth knew of me or knew who I was. So she happens to know the family that moved into that house. As we said in the story, my mom sold it, and, you know, they thought it was haunted. And we haven't, you know, been back there. And there's a new family living there, and they have a, a little son. Well, she's like the first person that's ever, like, approached me and been like, hey, is your house haunted? Or was your house haunted? So it was just crazy that... Out of, all of a sudden out of the blue she asked and anyway long story short because I know my last one was long she said that uh, their little boy they overheard him talking to someone in his room and um, when they asked him about it he said yes someone's in my room when they asked who it was and he wouldn't tell them but that there was someone in there and he was talking to and I don't know if he was really scared or anything but there's definitely nobody there so this lady who knew who I was and knows this family well, she has been in there in that house and she kind of knows the layout of the house upstairs. And so I asked her which room, you know, does the mom and dad stay in and which room does the little boy stay in. And sure enough, that little boy's room is the same room that my little brother Chris always stayed in that he was so afraid of where all the stories came from from our last campfire tale. So I even told her, even though it would have embarrassed my mom, probably that we had the house prayed over and nothing happened since. And she was like, well, maybe the new family like awakened something or or whatever the kid did, or maybe the ghost was a, was a kid and she just unloaded all these crazy like theories on me. But just wild that like, I've never really thought of it. And then sending the campfire tale and someone randomly cleaning my teeth, who I don't even know, asked if my old house was haunted. Just wild, kind of creepy. Anyway, I love y'all. Y'all rock. Keep doing what you do. Your service you provide is fantastic. Thank you again to Coleman. Thank you to Michael for that campfire tale. Like all of our campfire tale participants this month, Michael will receive the official campfire tale sticker designed by listener Joshua Bellis. He's also eligible to either receive a campfire tales t-shirt or a copy of one of the films we talked about on this episode of the show for our top 10 lists. Coleman, thanks so much for sharing that follow-up to your campfire tale. I'm spooked out. I want to go to Texas and investigate. Who's with me? Let's do this. Let's bust some ghosts. And now, we have a special bonus review for you in our Shutter-sponsored Screaming Online segment. Welcome to our Shudder-sponsored Screaming Online segment today. We thank Shudder for sponsoring this episode of the show. AMC Network Shudder is a premium streaming video service, for those unfamiliar with it. We often refer to it as the Netflix for horror. They have spine-tingling thrillers, shocking horror films, and edge-of-your-seat suspense films that are updated on a weekly basis. These are human curated. And for the low price of $5.99 a month or $56.99 per year, you'll have unlimited access to stream ad-free 
on all of your favorite devices, including your Apple devices, Android devices, Xbox, Amazon Fire, Google Chromecast, Roku, and more. Some of the new things that are on Shutter right now that I've been super excited about. Right at the end of September, there was the premiere of Shutter's Creep Show series, which I think has been amazing. Have they all been hits? There have been a few misses, but if you just take a step back and think, we have a creep show series that's currently airing is actually happening right now. We're so lucky. I think we are in such an amazing age for horror. I just feel blessed that there's a creep show series on right now. So yeah, I've got one of my favorite films of the year. That is a must see before you do your top 10 lists at the end of the year. Tigers are not afraid. Make sure you check that out on shutter. We've been talking about kind of zombie comedies. One cut of the dead is an absolute must see. That's when you absolutely have to get to before the end of the year. And one must-see for your Halloween season, if you missed it on October 25th, is Joe Bob Briggs' Halloween Hootenanny. It was amazing. That was the most fun I've had all fall. He screened three films from the Halloween franchise. I won't spoil which ones they were. Darcy the Mail Girl had some amazing cosplay going on there. It's just always a good time with Joe Bob Briggs. And in my opinion, that alone is enough reason to subscribe to Shutter, especially if you're using our free trial. It is fantastic. That is so cool. Can I just say something about Joe Bob real quick? Can I can I bow at the altar of the mighty John Bloom? I mean, Joe Bob. I will say <laughs> that for me, Joe Bob, and it's interesting because I've made it no secret on the show how much I love horror hosts in general. I love them. I love them all. And uh, Dr. Paul Bearer is sort of my childhood. He, he and Commander USA helped shape my childhood. Joe Bob, though, as a horror host, didn't really get into my view until I was older. And specifically, though, the thing I found with Joe Bob was, and I feel like, Dave, you'll really appreciate this because I know what a fan you are of, you know, getting, you know, books by film critics like Pauline Kael and, and just all these people and, you know, collecting them. Right. But I remember being in, I want to say the eighth grade, and that was sort of my, that's where the real tipping point was for me because I was now living with my dad. And I was going to the video store on the regular all the time and just getting as many horror movies because he did not remotely uh, monitor what I watched like my mom did. <laughs> so I'm like just loading up and I would hit our little town library and it's this little, you know, little town, little library. And it was old. I think it was even maybe even in the same building or right thereabouts where my dad had gone to the library when he was a kid. And I'm in eighth grade. I'm looking for different books, primarily about horror stuff, which they had a handful. Most of it was like 50s sci-fi type horror. But I, I would go through and I found this one book and it was Joe Bob goes back to the drive-in. And it was also Joe Bob goes to the drive-in, which is one he did earlier. But specifically, Joe Bob goes back to the drive-in. It has a purple cover and I'm actually holding a copy. It came out in 1990, so it would have been pretty new at that point. And I found it and I just remember being taken by it. First off, I was into drive-ins at that point because we had a drive-in locally that we would go to relatively often. And... I just started thumbing through it and, you know, he was reviewing movies in a way that I had no idea was was possible, you know, adding food to the end of everything and, you know, doing his counts of uh, blood, boobs and bullets and just all the all the wacky stuff he would do. And it was funny. I mean, even in like eighth grade, I got the humor and I just remember loving this book and it I was such a Dudley do right, you know, which Daryl uh, from Retro Movie Geek loves to mock me about that I would never have pushed myself to actually steal a book from the library, even though I was known for occasionally losing them. So I could have, quote unquote, lost that book and then just paid for it. But 
I never did, but I always kind of wanted to. That was one of the ones that I always kind of secretly wanted to. And I (laughs) cut to years later, that library moved to a different location. I've looked for that book to see if it was still circulating around in the library system. It's not. I can't find it, right? So I go on eBay or what have you at one point a year or two ago, and sure enough, somebody is selling it. And I snatched it up. It wasn't stupid expensive, so I snatched it up paperback. And now I hold my copy of Joe Bob Goes Back to the Drive-In, the thing that introduced me to Joe Bob Briggs and made nice. me you know, fall in love with him as a film critic and a writer and just his voice and everything else. And I intend, this is one of my goals for when I go to Spooky Empire, which hopefully be seeing some of you guys there, he is going to be at Spooky Empire in Tampa on November 3rd when I will be there. And I am going to get him to sign my copy of Joe Bob Goes Back to the Drive-In. That's so cool, Joel. Yeah. yeah. And I, I really want to go see his one of his live shows. That to me is seems like the pinnacle. But yeah, just a just a great film historian and he delivers it in such a fun, accessible way. And I think one other thing we need to tell our listeners is that uh, just as the Halloween Hoot Nanny is is premiering, they've also announced on Shutter that in December, Friday the thirteenth of December, in fact. Joe Bob will be returning for Joe Bob's Red Christmas. <laughs> That's amazing. So uh, that, That's that should be a lot of fun as well. Those are those are a lot of fun Ooh. to tune in live with the rest of the horror community, and we recommend people do that if you get the chance. And, uh, yeah, just really looking forward to that. There are a couple other films on Shudder that I was excited about that have come out somewhat recently since we've done our last Shudder-sponsored episode, Hell House LLC Part 3 is out which i really enjoyed the first movie i know you did too dave yeah i've heard the second one took a dip but the a third one time. is a return to form so nice. i'm excited about checking that one out and uh one other one that i wanted to get to before the end of the year is the furies i have not had a chance to see that one yet but i've heard really great things yeah that trailer so. looks pretty darn good i was i was yeah. digging that trailer yes i added that to the queue about a week ago Cool, cool. And one thing I have been loving on Shudder, and I know this is a horror movie podcast, but something you know we've discussed amongst ourselves for a while now is occasionally maybe mentioning some of the awesome horror that is on TV. Because if it is the golden age of horror for movies, I would say it's equally, if not even more so, in a lot of ways for TV, whether that be broadcast or streaming. And in this case, we're talking about Shudder, and it is Nosferatu, the Joe Hill written series that is based on his novel. If you have not seen this, all episodes are now available on Shudder. I was so into this, we actually started watching it, and there was only the first couple were available on Shudder. What they were doing is every Thursday, they were releasing it. And you could have paid for them separately on on. Amazon or what have you. But I was like, you know what? Why would I do that? I have a Shutter subscription. I will just watch them on Shutter. I do believe they're all available now. So if you are into horror on TV and you want to see a fantastic, creative, interesting show, and and to me, it's so neat because Joe Hill has his own voice, but you, the influence of his father is is present in it's like in in the soul you just it has that spirit but it's his own thing and it's just it's a really cool show with great acting uh her name is escaping me at the moment ashley cummings actually just popped in my head ashley cummings stars and she was in hounds of love if you've seen that um and she plays vic mcqueen the the lead she is fantastic the whole cast is great uh it's, so i can't recommend that enough that is on shutter and hopefully a little bit down the road here in a future episode we can go more in depth than i can 
can actually really review that show because I can't sing its praises enough. But uh, Nosferatu on Shudder is something I have absolutely been loving. So the one we are going to talk about tonight is Haunt. So Haunt, everything I've heard about it, it was presented as Eli Roth produced and something I may have been told it previously, but I didn't really realize until I sat down to watch it was that it is the first major directorial effort from Beck and Woods, the guys who wrote A Quiet Place. And this is their first film they've made since A Quiet Place. And so I was really excited to kind of see how that might play into my appreciation for this film. Basically the plot is that a group of young people head out for a night of fun on Halloween and they come across a haunted house very mysteriously, actually. I mean, it's, it's pretty unlucky <laughs> that they found <laughs> it when and where they did, uh, but they decide to check it out. And from the beginning, it's clear that this is one of those extreme haunts where it's going to sign your life away and the people inside may be touching you and you're not exactly sure what's going to go down, but um, they can hear some pretty intense screaming coming from inside. So they decide, yeah, what the heck? We'll give it a shot. They, they're pretty excited all except for one girl who is our main character. She is not excited about <laughs> the potential of what might go down in this haunted house because she has some demons from her past. And as she puts it later in the film, which I don't think it's a spoiler in any way, she says, I was raised in a haunted house. So um, she's got some things that she's dealing with that kind of keep her from enjoying this on the same level as her cohorts. But they go through the haunted house, and as things start to unravel, it's, it's pretty clear that this is going to be an intense experience. It's really not until about an hour in that you well, it's about 50 minutes in that you get a clear picture as to whether or not they are in real mortal danger, but that doesn't keep it from being scary all along the way. In fact, I think that kind of toying with the audience as to whether or not this can be explained or um, whether or not they're in actual grave life or death danger is the fun of the film, just as it's the fun with going to any haunted house. And I think we talked about this when we reviewed health fest on our, fun house of horrors episode i think this is an experience where the audience gets to have all those same jumps and scares as the characters do as they're going through the fun house and so i i feel i feel like that's the best element of the movie i think it's got a lot of great moments um but i don't think it's a masterpiece you know i think it it it's just um it doesn't get to that next level for me but it's very watchable and i think it's a great film to watch for the halloween season what about you dave i pretty much uh, agree with everything you said it, it didn't blow me away but it was entertaining uh, i especially liked where it went in that last act and i don't want to get into it at all really but once they had the sort of reveal of what's going on i liked that and that's where it really ramped up, but that's where you're expecting it to ramp up. Um, one thing at all that stuck stuck with me, uh, it's it's a, another one of those little things that a horror film will teach you. If it is Halloween night and there is a haunted attraction and you are one of only two cars in the parking lot, you might want to go elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> they have fun with that. They say uh, it only has one Yelp review. But the proceeds go to the Red Cross, so we might as well go for it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but 
I agree with you. I think this is a good movie to watch um, for Halloween. And it does keep you guessing as to where's it going? Who's in on this? Is, is this really what it seems to be? And then it slowly gets answered. You know, something happens and you think, well, that could have been an accident, what happened. But right. uh, it, or it, could have been, it could have been smoke and mirrors. Right. Right. Exactly. Uh, but then where it eventually goes, I thought uh, I liked the payoff for it um, made it worth made it worth it because you're right. There, are, there, there was nothing about the movie, even towards like the beginning of it, that really set it apart to say, hey, here's something more than you've seen before it was a lot of eh, i've kind of seen this before you know um, for me i was completely on board with the premise and the concept and i liked most of the performers i thought it was mm-hmm. a really strong cast yeah i think for me i i was expecting that this was going to touch on um i don't know if you saw that documentary that i actually explicitly told people not to watch when i reviewed it on the show haunters the art of the scare which is a film all about extreme home haunts full contact terror simulations. And I thought this was going to live in that world because that seemed like the reason to do another film kind of in this genre. We've seen, you know, several in that subgenre that we talked about when we were doing our fun house of horrors episode. Right. And so to do a new one and to have Eli Roth involved as a producer, I thought, Oh, this must be dealing with that new fad of extreme full contact haunts. But it, and I, in some ways it is, but it felt really um, removed from what those are like, you know, like visually the sets felt a lot bigger. And, and, and I think the problem with that for me is they just felt really empty. And so there's an isolation element, but it it just wasn't as um, claustrophobic as like the hunters documentary. Yeah. It wasn't claustrophobic at all. I'll agree with you. It looked like, you know, there are, there are moments when it looks like it's set. Well, it is, I guess, a warehouse, but they don't try to do much to describe to uh, disguise those, right? You know, it, it, you're saying, okay, this is just a big sort of warehouse area here. Uh, so there was nothing claustrophobic about it at all. Maybe that's something that I I was kind of keying in on too. But that said, it is entertaining, and and where it does go at the end, uh, uh, sort of made it all worthwhile for me. I liked the very ending. I thought that was fun. I've seen some people have problems with that. Um, mm-hmm. I just was looking over some of our listeners scores for this on Letterboxd right before we recorded. And some people uh, did not love the very, very end, but I actually quite <laughs> liked that. I, I, I did too. I liked it too. Yeah. The cast is great. You know, I was, I was really enjoying those performances. Mm-hmm. I especially liked Evan who's uh, played by Andrew Caldwell. He was the front half of the human centipede costume. Mm-hmm. Um, he was my favorite <laughs> actor in the film. I just, I really enjoyed him and his performance and his character. I thought he was hilarious. Yeah. I liked all, I thought all the performers did a good job, you know, yeah. considering, you know, this is, this is a type of uh, a movie where the characters aren't always three dimensional. I, I I'm curious what the thought was with the people they decided to have running the haunt, whether these are people who are um, have something bad has happened to them or if everything that we see about them is self-inflicted, like what their background is. And it, it, mm-hmm. it, it stops just short of giving us that information. It, it, it almost, and you know, you can cut this if you think it's a spoiler. I, I, it almost had me thinking of American Mary. Okay. I don't you know, know American Mary, so I don't know if it's Oh, spoiler. okay. <laughs> it, it's, but that's what I was thinking when, um, 
they sort of got into those the characters who were running it. That's what I was thinking about. Yeah. Well, there's one character who's in the film who's clearly into body modification. That's what American Mary is. Body oh, modification. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And but then there are other characters who seem like they might have been like a burn victim or something. And so you're not sure like what the film is saying about these characters or, mm-hmm. you know, I'm curious why someone like Andred might read this. Is this a comment on disability horror? Like what exactly is going on here? I'd be interested to hear people's takes on that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. For the most part, I think this is just a, a really fun spook house film. It's, it's, right. it's perfect for this time of year. It's a great movie to watch on Halloween with your trick or treats and your hell houses and, and whatever else you want to, have on loop i think it's just a it's a fun one to add to the mix i think i agree with regard to the proprietors of the haunt i thought there might also be some allusions to funhouse toby hooper's funhouse that we reviewed recently as well interesting yeah you You know know what i'm talking about i I do know yes yes i do i know exactly what you're talking about that's interesting yeah and in fact the look of the masks was very reminiscent of mike doherty's trick-or-treat so there, there are some fun little things in here for horror fans, but um, I don't know, Dave, would you ever go into a thing like this? Um, if there's only one other car, no. And they're making me sign all this stuff. No, I'd say, I'll tell you what, I'll wait. I'll wait in the car for the rest of you. <laughs> I've, I've been to a lot of haunted house situations, but certainly not with that few attendees, you know, but right now, something like hell house, LLC, like as we were talking about, that would have pulled me in and Right. That would have been probably that would have been just as bad, um, <laughs> because that is that was a big group of people going through there, and that's that's when I always kind of go back to, um, and that's on Shutter too, isn't it? The first Hell House LLC. I think all three of the Hell House LLC films are on Shutter. I'm almost be like a good double feature, maybe with Haunt. Yeah, that would be a good double feature. Anyone who hasn't seen Hell House LLC, it's a good a uh, good reason or a good excuse to check that one out as well. Yeah, and I'd throw in Hellfest into the mix as well. Might as well make it a triple mm-hmm. feature. And sure, absolutely. Enjoy your Halloween night. Are you going to do your ratings and recommendations on Haunt? With Haunt, you know what? I would probably give it a, a I'd say a 7 out of 10. And i say, you know, definitely uh, stream it on Shudder. I would give this one probably more in the 6 out of 10 range. Mm-hmm. I don't know that there's anything special in terms of bringing something new to the genre. Right. But it's just a fun movie. So my rating isn't necessarily reflective of my, my recommendation. This is definitely one I say streaming on Shutter. This is one I can even see watching once a year or once every other year. It's it's just that kind of movie. So right. yeah, I think it's definitely one to check out. So if you want to watch Haunt or Hell Hells LLC and any of the other films we've mentioned here tonight, try Shutter Free for 30 days by going to shutter.com and using the promo code HMP. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R dot com and promo code H-M-P. And really briefly, I want to give away what we've been jokingly referring to as our participation award. Uh, Just for people who are participating in the community at horrormoviepodcast.com during our 31 days of Halloween. This time, I'll be giving away a DVD of the anthology film Nightmare Cinema. This is produced by Mick Garris and has segments directed by Mick Garris, Joe Dante, David Slade, and more. It's a brand new 2019 film and a brand new DVD copy. And this will go to Tammy Joe Eckhart. So Tammy Joe, get in touch at horrormoviecast at gmail.com 
and we'll get this DVD out to you. Congratulations to Tammy. Thank you to everyone who's been participating this Halloween season. We've got a lot of great new reviews on iTunes. Dave will be announcing the winners for those giveaways in our very next episode. We've got a lot of great new followers on Twitter. Thanks to everyone who's followed. We've given away a ton of movies. I think we've given away like 20 digital downloads there. And Dave will also be giving away several digital copies of brand new horror films to those who leave their top 10 horror movies for the early 2000s lists in the comments here at horrormoviepodcast.com. Those will not be announced on the show. They'll just be announced directly on the website, just as the Twitter giveaways were announced directly on Twitter. But again, the iTunes slash Apple podcast giveaways will be announced on our next episode. We want to thank Shudder again for sponsoring this episode, and we ask that you support us by supporting those who support us through supporting them. <laughs> to try Shudder free for 30 days, go to Shudder.com and use the promo code HMP. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com and promo code HMP. For Horror Movie Podcast, that's what it stands for. And now we'll get back to our top 10 horror movies of the early 2000s. All right. We made it. We're here. It's the midpoint. We are ready for number five. All right, Dave, number five. This is a movie I saw in the theater. I'm sure I've talked about it before. As a matter of fact, I know I've talked about it before. I did not look up the episode because I don't think it was part of any theme discussion. I think it was just something sort of mentioned off the cuff. It truly unnerved me as I saw this in the theater. It was at a time in my life where I worked to the point on Friday that I was able to flex. So every Friday I would go to the movie theater. And I did that from 2001 to about 2006, actually. And I happened to see this one first showing opening day. And it got to me in a big way. Like my number six film, it's from 2002. But unlike my number six film, it is a remake of an Asian horror film, and it is The Ring, directed mm. by Gore Verbinski. Had a feeling this would be on your list. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, and I now have a reason to hate you both. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> this has such a dark atmosphere to it, first and foremost. And I think what's really interesting is that if you look through the decades of movie monsters, you have all of these sort of big sort of hulking, scary characters. For me, the 2000s, one of the new millennium's first truly frightening characters was a little girl. And it was from this film. And there's a scene right at the end. I'm not going to go into it. You don't uh, have to. We know exactly that, what you mean. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, that really, really got to me. The story is it's, it's about a videotape that if you play it, you get a phone call and the phone call says seven days, meaning you have seven days to live. What well, happens to this one character right at the beginning and then someone who is related to that character played by Naomi Watts, who is also a, a reporter. She decides to she watches the tape. It happens to her. And now she's going to find out how to beat the tape. How does she what does she have to do? So she goes out to where. The, you know, the locations of where the tape was and just starts investigating it. What does she need to do to break this curse? And the tape itself is super creepy. 
And then the concept is, I don't know. I just really, it, it just shook me when I saw this film and it stayed with me. And even today it stays with me when I rewatch it. So yeah, that's, that's my number five, the ring from 2002. Well, that's an excellent pick. And I will say that it's a genius concept for a horror movie. I mean, you get, mm-hmm. you add the ticking time bomb element, you know, you've got this high concept that it just, it, it creates this really effective narrative that, and like you said, it builds up to a point where <laughs> it, 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 if that doesn't unsettle you, then I don't know what to tell you. Cause I, I yeah, <laughs> right. the, the, yeah, the ending of this movie is phenomenal. I will say, and I'm assuming you both have seen Ringu, right? The original. Right. I, yes. cause I saw it after I saw the remake and it was interesting because so many people had talked up Ringu and I liked it. I thought it was okay, but it just didn't unsettle me the same way. And I don't know what it was. I don't know if it's just because of the way the narrative played out. I don't know if, because even just the effect of what happens to somebody after the, I guess, seven days has transpired and when mm-hmm. they when they, when they they find uh, what, what remains, so to speak, I found it more disturbing even in the remake than I did mm-hmm. in the original. Hmm. A friend of the show, Nick Peterson, worked on these films. He did uh, motion control because they had to do certain motion control shots for a television scene, for instance. And uh, so he spent a lot of time uh, behind the scenes kind of making sure some of those cool shots worked out the way they did. So I want to give a shout out to Nick. Um, For me, I think there were a few factors, and one of them I'll talk about when I get to my next pick, but I do think the other factor for me was just Naomi Watts. Her performance is so good. Mm-hmm. Um, she just really pulled me into the film. Yep, I agree. Yep. All right, so Josh, what's your number five? Okay, my number five is the third of four vampire movies in my top ten. <laughs> It would have been five vampire movies in my top 10, but I determined that Stakeland, despite what it says on IMDb, came out in 2011 in the United States, which is how I determined the years for my list. So <laughs> determined that was a uh, 2010s movie rather than early 2000s. This one is an incredible film that took me completely off guard. It was Latendrata Coma In or let the right one in excellent from 2008 oh yeah that's a good one good one this one really blew my hair back the first time i saw it i just did not at all anticipate what my reaction would be to this movie or what i was going to see in this film and i mentioned yeah with regard to ringu versus the ring it's very similar to how i feel about let the right one in to let me in i feel like these original films are just amazing horror classics I think the American remakes though are still good and they're allowing such a bigger audience to kind of enter the world of these films. And I think they lead a lot of people back to the original films that I'm fine with it, you know, and I am fine if someone said, well, I actually prefer let me into leather right Winner, or I actually prefer the ring to ring you. Like I get that, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I, it doesn't surprise me at all. And I think uh, they're both pretty faithful quality remakes, but for me still let the right one in is the one uh, that just really struck a nerve with me the first time I saw it. And it's just, um, it was one of those things that is not a cool term, but it was true for me. It was an instant classic when I saw this movie. Yeah. And uh, despite a few moments of CGI that I thought were poorly executed overall, 
it was done practically. It's very simple. The horror is feels like it's something that could happen to you for the most part. And it's freaky. Agreed. And more than the horror and more than the freakiness, it's the twisted love story at the center of the film that actually is the most memorable. So just a great movie all, all right. around. Can't argue that, man. That is a great one. And I guess the real question is, should people assume from your list that you are a fan of the vampire movies? Is that a safe assumption? Yeah. I mean, I think that didn't that come up in my 90s list yeah, as it, well. It probably I think, did. I think probably half did. my lists, I think half of my 90s list were vampire so movies. So the question well. is, Josh, are you a horror fan or are you a vampire fan? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I've, I've said this before, but it was, it was really Dracula and the Wolfman I and know. Frankenstein's monster that got me interested in horror in the first place, you yeah, know? And so I totally get it, it was those universal monsters movies and it was things like monster squad. So vampires were kind of my first love and, uh, they've remained, especially va- movies with vampire slayers, as I mentioned, but also just straight up vampire movies, despite kind of becoming oversaturated with them in the era of twilight. I never really delved into that too much. And so it, it's never bothered me and there continued to be excellent vampire movies mm-hmm. all the way through that era. And, yeah. Uh, this was one of them. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I agree. Original, which is amazing. So many original vampire movies in each, each decade. Yes. Uh, they, they still find a way to put a new twist on it. Yep. I agree. Totally I agree. agree. And I'm just busting your chops, which I hope you know. <laughs> Consider them bust. Oh yes, indeed. Well, speaking of busting things, wow, that, didn't set up right. Okay. So <laughs> my number five is a movie that much like Saw spawned a bunch of sequels that in that case, at least I've seen one of them. I have seen one sequel to this movie. Um, I am a big fan. My number five is Final Destination from 2000. Oh, Oh, good okay. pick. Yeah. yeah, good yeah. one. Yeah, it's uh, the IMDb breakdown. After a teenager has a terrifying vision of him and his friends dying in a plane crash, he prevents the accident only to have death hunt them down one by one. And of course, you know, this movie is is probably the most notorious for the fact that you have these elaborate, you know, Rube Goldberg type scenarios that get established with, you know, people dying mm-hmm. in extremely creative ways. And uh, I guess it became a staple of the entire series. Right. It starred Devin Sawa and Ali Larder. Uh, Tony Todd makes an appearance in it, as I recall. And yeah. and it's it is a fun movie. Like I remember really enjoying this movie a lot. I've seen Final Station Two, which I remember liking enough. And for whatever reason, I've never watched the others. Mm-hmm. This this series, gotta be honest with you, I would love to do eventually a franchise review for this series because I have a feeling that if I go and revisit them, the vast majority of them, I will enjoy just because. I find that the the nature of it is obviously very over the top and it's elaborate, but it, it's just I don't know, there's something fun about the way it all plays out and just sort of guessing <laughs> what the inevitable outcome will be for each of the people right. that think they've cheated death. Right. I don't know if I want to do that for six films or whatever. Really? It is, but five. Five. I think, five yeah, films. I think well, they're only also five. rebooting it right now as well. Yeah. Oh, so. okay. Interesting. Yeah, but I, I just remember enjoying this one quite a bit. It's been a while since I've seen it, and I would love to uh, to go back and revisit because uh, I just remember it being a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, and shout out to Jeffrey Reddick, who was on our Horse Cinema Awards jury this year. He was the writer of the original film. So Awesome. And I know uh, James Wong and Glenn Morgan, who I always think of as being connected to X-Files, I know that they were, that James Wong directed it, and I know Morgan was on, on the screenplay as well, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. Cool. All right, so that brings us to our number four pick. All right, Dave, what's your number four? 
My number four goes back to 2005. I know it's come up before. Again, I couldn't find it on HMP's uh, site. I don't know when, but I'm sure it's come up before. And it is from 2005, directed by Neil Marshall, The Descent. Ah, yes. Oh, I know that's come up. Yeah, for sure. After starting off tragically with a car accident, a woman who uh, lost quite a bit in that accident uh, reunites with her friends to go uh, explore some caves. Unfortunately, they picked the wrong cave to go into because uh, as they find out, they're not alone when they realize what's happened, that somebody, one of them pulls sort of a switcheroo and they end up not being in the cave that they think they're in. They're sort of breaking ground in this one, uh, in this one cave, sort of, uh, this, this one character thought for the adventure of it. That in itself is terrifying because as you get deeper into these caves, if, if it's unexplored, you don't know, am I ever going to find a way out of this cave? What's going to happen? And if you're claustrophobic, there are scenes while they're exploring the cave that, I mean, where they are, they can barely, these are, you know, very in shape young ladies and they cannot fit through these spaces easily. That's terrifying enough. (laughs) Right. And then what's introduced in the second half of the film once they realize that they're being watched and and what it is that's watching them, it knocks it up another five probably (laughs) on on the fright meter just from that. Mm -hmm. So there's tension and there's scares for me anyway throughout this movie. And then it just gets crazy at the end and it gets crazy in a way that I absolutely loved it. It, There's violence. There's uh, twists involving the characters and really strong acting as well, I thought, from 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 everybody involved. Yeah, this this one, again, this is one I was lucky enough to catch on the big screen. And I loved it then, and I love it just as much now. Very nice. Yep, that's a great pick. That actually, that came up on our very first Women in Horror Month episode. Ah, that's where that it would be, did. yes. Okay. That, was, that was only in 2018. So okay. that was uh, HMP episode 140. And so in that film, we just kind of did films loosely connected to women. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> and uh, we did Winchester and the uninvited and Jay for his beastly freak segment in order to tie it to women in horror did the descent. So awesome. Um, I think it's also come up. I know it's on Jay's top 10 yes. and I think it came up on our scariest movies episode that we did. Um, where we talked about the scariest films we'd seen. Right. Yeah. And when we did our scariest horror movies episode, that was one of uh, the audience's top gotcha. picks, I believe. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's an effective one. I, and I remember specifically the opening of the movie, I think almost bothering me more, more than anything else. It starts in hardcore fashion. Yeah, it, it really, really does. does. Yeah, it really does. Is it my number four? Yeah, I guess yes, it is. Yes, it is. My number four Look, it's a cheat. I'm just going <laughs> to say it right, right here, right now. Technically, this is two movies. Oh, boy. But but what I'm putting on here is one film experience. Because if I were to separate these two films, I'm not sure exactly where they would land on my list. But as a whole, presented together with trailers in between them. Uh, I know where you're going. Grindhouse <laughs> from 2007 
is my number four cinematic experience of the early 2000s. Okay. One of my favorite cinematic experiences ever was seeing Grindhouse in the theater. I, I absolutely loved, loved it. it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I was so excited when they finally released the Blu-ray that had that entire cinematic experience in a row, like in the, in the original packaging rather than, you know, as separate elements on right DVD when they broke disc. them up. Exactly. Yeah. I, I felt the same way I had to get that day one. Yeah, me too. And I will say that, uh, it's probably less controversial that I didn't see that in the theater, probably more controversial wow. that to this day, I've never seen either movie. <laughs> what? Oh, I know. That, that, and, and here's one. Yeah, I know. Here's what doesn't make any sense, especially out of the two of them. Death proof. I mean, for the love of God, you've got Kurt Russell, who I have a man crush on driving a muscle car around and then women rising up and kicking his butt and his territory. I mean, on paper, there's zero. Again, this one there's on zero reason. I have no excuse. Planet Terror. I from what I saw of it, it was less intriguing to me, despite the fact that I tend to like wacky over the topness. Uh, but death proof. Yeah, I have no reason why I've never seen that other than just sheer laziness. Planet Terror is awesome too, though. See, when I saw this in theaters, I thought Planet Terror was far better than Death Proof. I think Death Proof for me was just kind of underwhelming, waiting for the next Tarantino movie to come out. But now that Tarantino's made three or four more films, there's not as much like resting on Death Proof, mm-hmm. if that right. makes sense. Yeah, that does. And I love it as one of the entries in his giant filmography. You know, like it's it's when it was like you were waiting each year for the next Tarantino movie. And then I was like, well, that's it. That's like, that's what I was waiting for. Right. Like that, Planet Terror was so much more fun at the time. Um, but now, yeah, I think now if I was going to put one on the list, it would probably be death proof, but it would be a lot lower than it is now. I think as an experience and Joel, when you finally watch this, which I'd recommend doing later this afternoon, if I were <laughs> yeah, I'd do it right away. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Get some popcorn, get a beverage, Get, a, get your wife, and well, I don't know how she does with and the that, schlock. I was about to say, here's the issue. This is right in the middle of us getting ready to have baby number two, and this is not her cup of tea. <laughs> right. so, so it's that double whammy of, yeah, we, we rarely <laughs> ever get to go out, honey. Let's go see this movie. Yeah, I would have gotten shot down quickly. So she, she humors me. She doesn't mind that, that I do it. But uh, yeah, this one I'll have to find the time on my own. Well, watch it with a buddy. There, you. This is a movie that you have to laugh at the the fact that you can't believe what you're seeing gotcha. on screen. Okay, that was my experience. We, I was uncomfortably laughing with like three rows of patrons who were all just looking at each other, like, "What the <laughs> crap? Like, how is this <laughs> happening in a mainstream cinema <laughs> release? Like, what is going on right now?" And we had a blast watching this movie. Okay, and yeah, definitely watch the theatrical presentation version of it, because that really makes the experience. Yeah. It will have you petitioning Eli Roth to make his Mm -hmm. trailer that he made for this film to be his next feature film. I am still waiting. I think it was in like Thanksgiving. It was like, it was like Thanksgiving. Yeah. Thanksgiving. (laughs) It's incredible. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Now we're on to my number four. I finally have a non us movie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> on my list. I guess Ginger Snaps is Canadian, wasn't it? Yes. I, and I yeah. guess 28 Days Later, would that be considered a UK film? Yeah. Okay, wow. Look at me. Okay. All right. Yeah. Look, look at this, boy. It's a nice change of pace. International. Yeah, I'm going international, this this list. Yeah, you're a jet setter. Yeah. Uh, my number four, <laughs> though, is a movie that I rented. Uh, this would have been right when we were, uh, you know, again, sort of knee deep in the uh, 
having very young babies era, but uh, I made time for this one and I was so happy I did. It's from 2007, so I'm at least past 2005 now, and it's Wreck. Nice. The found footage movie. Amazing. That is yeah. so fantastic. Oh my God, I love this movie so much. Yeah. So it's a television reporter and cameraman follow emergency workers into a dark apartment building and are quickly locked inside with something terrifying. And I've seen... Yeah, but one, two, and three. I've not seen four yet, but I have seen one, two, and three. I loved. Uh, I liked two enough. I remember liking two quite a bit. Three, I loved. Three is just wacky. <laughs> just that's <laughs> the, that's your the, the bloody bride one. Um, it, it's uh, but Wreck is a classic. I mean, it's such a good movie. Yeah, um, it really yeah. is. I agree, and I feel the same way about this that I do. Ringu and let the right one in. I kind of feel like this is the classic, but Quarantine is also way better than it should be. You know, it's like also a fantastic movie. Right. And this was definitely one of the movies I was referring to when I was saying, "Man, there's so many good zombie movies mm-hmm. in this era. It's hard to pick just one." Yeah. Well, thank you for not taking my thunder from this one as well <laughs> by not saying the title. <laughs> but I, I, you know, it's funny. I've never seen Quarantine. I never saw it, and I and I it, for the longest time I didn't oh. even realize it was the remake to this. <laughs> um, and then, oh, I think you'd like it. I think I would too. Actually, it's funny because, and I think when I mean, they're it, very similar. Okay, once I finally found out that Quarantine was a remake, I liked Rex so much. I just, I'll be honest with you, just sort of had the assumption like, yeah, I probably won't bother because you know, like to Dave's point of why he never wanted to see the American version of the I now in quarantine's defense i never heard anything disparaging about it i just sort of made the assumption right. <laughs> it's a remake therefore why bother but uh but yeah wreck it's just it's intense and i'll tell you what i will never forget the last few minutes of that movie <sighs> where the you know i'm talking about that that in the lone in the dark with uh yes. It's, Amazing! It is awesome. It is such a good movie. Uh, my wife yeah. loved that one too. We watched that. We just were both blown away by how good that movie was. So, That's Wreck awesome. from 2007 is my number four. All right, man. I am. I'm getting excited. This is number three. We are actually in the top three. Dave, we're here. Top three. 2000s. Top three. Okay, I'm going to read opening paragraph from my review of my number three film on DVD Infatuation. Uh, which was written in 2015, just just so you know, because I refer to a, uh, a, a period of time here. Some of the most brutal horror films of the last 10 years have come out of France, with movies like High Tension, Frontiers, and the controversial Martyrs leading the way. Standing above them all is my number three, 2007's Inside. A harrowing tale of home invasion nice. that's sure to keep you up at night, wondering if anyone's lurking in the shadows of your own bedroom. Brutal, 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 <laughs> brutal, uh, amazingly violent <laughs> film, but yet that's not all there is to it. I mean, there's a pregnant a woman is not much pregnant. She's ready to have her child. Uh, her husband has died, was killed in a car crash a few months earlier. So she's dealing with that, uh, dealing with the fact she's about to give birth. And then she has to deal with the fact that her on Christmas Eve, her home is invaded by someone who has a very specific agenda and she's sort of fighting for her life. The violence is sudden and graphic, um, uh, you know, throughout the film, but it really is just that tension that, that home invasion sort of feeling to the movie. I think that that got to me first, even before, you know, the, the violence comes in even, or even when the violence is not in play, I shouldn't say before. I mean, it's, it's, 
it's a pretty bloody movie throughout. But there are definitely scenes of just straight up tension as this girl is trying to avoid this person who's in their house and just the creepiness of it where she's laying there and this other person is just standing there watching. I mean, it, it's, I know that's something that, that Greg Amortis has talked more and more about that, that really bothers him. That's one of the things that, that affects him the most in a movie is if somebody is watching somebody else sleep who shouldn't be in that room in the first place, um, <laughs> that really disturbs him. And I, I can understand why, especially after seeing this film. I mean, it is a home invasion film, but there is more to it than that, and it it brings it, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, this is actually another one, for me, an amazing film. Uh, it's Inside. I have to say, Dave, I, I have to admit something publicly, and I know you know mm -hmm. I haven't seen it yet. I'm actually right. afraid to see this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I can I, see that. Yeah, I can. I can because, how did you react to high tension? I actually like. Okay, I, I want to eventually review high tension. High tension for the vast majority of it, I actually loved it. Um, mm -hmm. I knew the twist, so I think had I not, I would have been as po'd as everybody else was who didn't know it. <laughs> and I and I and I do feel like it, it negatively affects the movie in a way. Uh, but so well, at some point, I would love to review that. Uh, but okay. but I actually liked it quite a bit. Like that level of violence, it didn't bother me. Like it's not the. It's hard to explain. It's like it's not that the extreme violence in movies and television ever really bothers me. I think it's a tone thing mm -hmm. and. I, yeah. I, 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 there's a lot of these, the, like the, the really extreme French horror movies that just things I've read about them. I'm like, yeah, you know, like martyrs. Like I, I honestly, I just don't know if I'm going to be able to scrub that from my brain. <laughs> I've seen yeah. martyrs and I don't think I'd ever want to watch it again. I just don't know that I want things like high tension. At least there's enough about it that I just really liked. And, and when it's violent, yeah. it's really violent and it's graphic, but it just, I don't know. Again, it kind of doesn't cross that line for me personally. So I don't know if inside is on par more with that or more with martyrs but <laughs> i think it's between i would say it's between the two okay, because wow. there's other elements to the film i think that that are strong you yeah. know uh, like i said aside from the violence um but just it's for a example yeah, movie right what's that <laughs> it's a christmas it's a christmas movie, movie. Oh, it is uh, technically it's a christmas movie oh, yeah wow. that's that's true it's set at christmas time and but martyrs and irreversible are two movies i could never watch again yes irreversible i know enough about it and that deals with a subject that i just can't stomach at this point i just i don't i don't enjoy remotely right i'm not saying anybody does but you know I just, and it, it's clever yeah it's told it's almost like memento and that it's told sure. backwards sure and yet still surprises you <laughs> well with inside though with inside because it's dealing with a pregnancy and it came out what 2007 because I remember, I think yes. I first heard about it from you guys and from Jay. So, uh, you know, we had had our second baby at that point. And it's something that it was a little too close to home, mm -hmm. <laughs> I think, around that era for me. And then since then, I've just heard so much about it. I'm like, oh, I don't know, man. That's it just it, it's the it's the the core concept. It's not even so much the idea of it being a bloody, violent movie. It's just that core concept of what is happening and what the one person is trying to do to the other person that I just find just profoundly upsetting, which I guess is the point. Uh, but right. yeah, it's, uh, it's, yeah. Freaky. So this is definitely a film that Jay has banged his drum for, you know, it's mm -hmm. one of the films that like you're, you associate with him when you hear it, but Dave, you're actually the first person that talked about this on the show. You oh, talked really? about this on episode three of horror movie podcast. Oh, wow. Yeah. Way back then. I didn't, I didn't realize <laughs> I, had, I brought it up way back then. <laughs> episode three. Actually, yeah. he was talking about well, Inside Out by Pixar, I believe was his, uh, <laughs> that was his review. <laughs> 
What was the theme of episode three? I was actually not going to bring this up till we were done with our list, but you did Dr. Shock's top 20 horror movies of the new millennium. So it's been oh. really fun. I've been kind of glancing at the top 20 you did it's way different. back then. I bet it's different. It is different because I'm, I was going by the whole, if I could never see the movie again, I would be upset. Yeah, and and yeah. that's what I've been going with. So it is different from what I did back then. And I yeah. knew going in, it was going to be different. Well, it's just funny. Yeah. This is the moment where Dave goes, oh, wait, you mean I could have just copied that list and saved all that time? <laughs> no, I wouldn't want to do that. I anyway. know. I'm just I kidding. Wouldn't I know you wouldn't. Anyway. I know you wouldn't. That's, a, that's uh, great. No, I, I, I honestly, because I'm so scared to watch it, I feel like I have to watch it. You know what I mean? Like, cause right. there's so few things at this point in my life, like hereditary and, and Midsommar, I had that same sort of anxiety level with. Mm -hmm. So, and there's a really masochistic part of myself, which I guess maybe a lot of horror fans have, I don't know where right. you, you want to find that thing. But at the same time, there is a line. Like I don't, I know, I know myself well enough to know this probably certain movies. I'm just good. I'm cool. Yeah. You have fun with that. <laughs> I, I think, I think I put martyrs in a different class. I d wouldn't recommend martyrs. Yeah to you but yeah. i i think inside is something i think you can i think you can handle this okay. one joel i okay. really do okay. and it's 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 weird because i mean you know growing up i remember i mean i watched last hustle left you know several times and 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 mm -hmm. and, and, and you know, i even saw i spit on your grave which see to me that's the line like i could take i last hustle left because i guess i could always rationalize it away as oh this is just craven's interpretation of virgin spring <laughs> right, <laughs> Whereas right i spit right. in your grave it's like oh god uh, yeah that's uh, yeah that so that's sort of where i i i can handle the one but not the other i guess but uh gotcha. yeah so i'll have to i will have to at some point check it out and maybe we'll what was the what was the wolfman's got nards was that your segment mm -hmm. Josh? yeah there yeah, you go yeah we'll have to you know gil, maybe gil gil what would gilman gil, have gilman lays eggs i don't know <laughs> I don't know. Oh, now that's got to happen. <laughs> Yo, man, lays an egg. Oh, God. Oh, uh. That's amazing. <laughs> All right. Speaking of amazing, how's that for a segue? Wolfman. Yeah. So, technically, this is not my only zombie movie that made my top 10, but I was trying to narrow it down, knowing that I already had five vampire movies. I thought it shouldn't probably be all vampire and zombie movies. So, I was kind of trying to, you know, pick and choose here. I thought if there was one zombie movie from the 2000s that I could never watch again, which would be the one to make my list? Now, again, Planet Terror is technically on my list because it's part of Grindhouse. But aside from Planet Terror, there was one zombie movie from the early 2000s that I could never watch again, which would it be? Turns out it's a zombie comedy. It's Edgar Wright's Shaun of the Dead from 2000. Oh, oh that's yeah. great. Yeah, that's a great movie. Fantastic. So, I mean, really for is. me, the thing that I think is so great about this film, I think it succeeds where so many horror comedies don't, where it is legitimately a zombie movie as much as it is a comedy. Mm -hmm. yes. And I think that's hard to pull off. I think it's hard to actually make a real zombie movie and comedy at the same time. I think a lot of zomcoms in particular, they really lean hard on the comedy. And while this tonally is more comedy than anything else, the zombie moments are just zombie moments, mm -hmm. you know, and I mm -hmm. think they do that really well. So yeah. yep. I agree. I cannot fault you for that, man. It's a great one. I think it's the best zombie comedy of all time. And I think it's definitely in talks for the best horror comedy. Yeah. I and mean, I think it pulls Absolutely. off. So few can. And I don't want to say just in case it's on anybody else's list, but the, the other well-known and loved by many, uh, Zomcom, as you said, uh, that I'm also mm -hmm. a fan of. I feel like Shaun of the Dead is, to your point, more effective as a zombie movie, whereas that yeah. other one is way more comedy, in my opinion. 
Um, right. But uh, but yeah, Shaun of the Dead is just without a doubt. But still a good one. I know oh, what you're oh, talking yeah, about. Yeah. Oh yeah. Still a damn I just good just in case. I just don't know who else it might be on somebody else's list. So I just right. Talk, right. Right. Um, I'm talking. I mean, I'm talking around it like it isn't obvious. Uh, but <laughs> 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 but uh, but yes, that is a great great pick. Okay. Now I'm. I can say my number three, which is hilarious that I was so Dick Jones to say my number three because there's no way Josh would have it. I mean, I know for a fact because he's already told me his thoughts on this movie. <laughs> and uh, Dave, I would be shocked if you did. Um, so my number three, I picked actually for a couple reasons. One, because I remember when it came out and I absolutely fell in love with it and I watched it multiple times and uh, it came out in 2002. Well, I will say that up front. Another another front end of the decade kind of movie for me. But mm-hmm. I just I just loved it. It was quirky. It was weird. It's it's like a macabre character study. I love the performances and I just loved that it was kind of this just little indie kind of art house character movie. And I picked mm-hmm. it because I feel like, yes, a lot of horror fans probably know of it, but I question how many have actually watched it. And that is May from 2002. I, nice. I, I, I just I love this movie and I haven't seen this in so long. I, but yet I still remember like key moments from it that are just really in my head. I think Angela Bettis is fantastic. Um, the, the IMDb breakdown is a lonely young woman traumatized by a difficult childhood and unsuccessful attempts to connect with people around her is sent into a murderous tailspin. And it was written and directed by Lucky McKee, who's got a fantastic name. And yep. it also <laughs> stars uh, Jeremy Sisto and Anna Faris. Um, and I, I remember Sisto's character is an Argento fan. And I remember they had this conversation uh, about Argento. And I just it's just a really quirky, weird, fun movie that if you have never seen it, you owe it to yourself to go check out. So that is May. Thanks. I have not seen this. Oh, never? I've never seen May. I would have totally thought you would have seen this, Dave. I would I would say it wouldn't have made your list, but I I think that uh, I think you'll appreciate it. Like now knowing you yeah. haven't seen it, I really think I think you'll appreciate it. Um, well, it's moving up in my queue right now, I'll tell you that. Yeah. Yeah, I would love <laughs> to get your your take on. It. I'd like to revisit it and review it on the show. I think it'd be a lot of fun. I was thinking like, <laughs> wait, didn't this wasn't this already on your list? And then I realized we had been talking about Tiny Terrors. Yeah, we talked about our Tiny <laughs> Terrors episode yesterday. <laughs> Very recently, uh, we were talking about that. Yes. Yeah. Almost a month ago. Now. Oh, yes. It's yeah. been forever. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dave. Here we go, buddy. Number two. Number two is the first one where there is a crossover and it is Let the Right One In. Ah, Just a brilliant vampire film so many layers to this the relationship between the girl and the young boy which we get an idea of of how it's going to play out eventually with uh, the girl's relationship with the older man who looks very much like the young boy and um, we see what happens there but it really is like with let the right one in she's looking for somebody to take over as her caretaker and she builds this relationship with uh, with this neighbor boy who is very troubled. He has a dark streak to him that even if he never met this vampire, he was still heading down a very dark path. So she was, you know, looking for someone and lucky enough happened to come across someone who she felt would be a good fit uh, to be her caretaker. And uh, the movie sort of goes from there. And it really is just an excellent vampire film with an incredible scene. Uh, where you don't actually see anything and I don't want to you know say get into it too much but wow it blew me away Um, and it's yeah it's my number two just an amazing movie that is one of the best executed scenes of all time like (laughs) oh yeah 
It's yes, just absolutely an incredible, incredible scene. Yes. And there, there are other shots too that are much more simple, but for me, but just as surprising. Right. Like, Whoa, I, that's a crazy image. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really, it's just a beautiful movie. It really is. Yep. It's just a fantastic, yep. beautiful movie. All right, Josh, what's your number two? Okay. My number two, I believe it was days number 10, possibly. It was Shadow of the Vampire. 2000 number nine yep yep okay. it was down low yep yeah this was one i was debating is this a horror film i mean i think it is ultimately obviously it's on my list but like it it is got this postmodern level of remove that allows you to watch it kind of on a different level which that to me is my favorite part of it and i think that's why i was questioning it, is my favorite part is just seeing Nosferatu come to life in some different ways. It's like I got the opportunity to step behind the scenes and watch a behind the scenes documentary of one of my favorite films, but then also adding this additional element of no, but there's also a real vampire involved. It's just right. such a fun conceit. And then the mm-hmm. fact that it kind of turns into Dracula also by the end, like it yeah. feels like probably Carrie Ewell's being involved with it also doesn't hurt, but it kind of ha- it feels like all of a sudden I step into Bram Stoker's Dracula there for a few minutes. And uh, it's just, I don't know. I love everything about this movie. We've been talking about it. I think since episode one, when Nosferatu was on my top 10 of all time list, but I would love to do a double feature. Maybe you have a versus episode with Nosferatu and shadow of the vampire. Yes. Uh, they, they pair so well together and uh, like strawberries and champagne. <laughs> cheese and a fine wine i don't i don't drink wine or champagne so i don't really know what i'm talking about but (laughs) sounds good i do want to interject on this because i don't think i said it with uh, dave's mention of it i actually saw this at a one of those uh the old like movie houses the the classic from the the 20s you know those types Mm -hmm. of yeah Movie palace. Yeah, like a movie palace is a lot of them show now indie art films and such. So I saw this. I think it was at the Tampa theater, I think, is where I saw this uh, when it first came out. And uh, I remember enjoying it quite a bit. I did, did not like it as much as you guys did. And I don't know if that's because I went in expecting more on the horror front. But that being said, that was a long time ago. I mean, we're talking almost 20 years ago. I I would actually really enjoy revisiting that one and sort of seeing it through my 43-year-old eyes instead of my 23-year-old eyes. That would be be kind of a fun thing to do. So, yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah, produced by Nicolas Cage, by the way, which doesn't get talked about enough. Yeah, that's Um, surprising. Yeah, Yeah. this is his production company, Saturn Films, and... Uh, originally it was called burn delight and it was the script that they were trying to get made and they found this director probably best known at the time for his Marilyn Manson music videos. But yeah, I think to bring on a guy who was a really interesting director. I mean, if you ever hear the commentary for this film, it is fantastic. Hmm. It's one of my favorite uh, commentaries also of all time, but cool. Um, yeah, great movie. And, and Joel, just to let you know, it is streaming on Amazon prime right now. Nice with a subscription so this if we wanted to could okay. be a really fun versus episode that's true absolutely yeah i'd be down for that when dave makes his triumphant return i say we uh, yes we do it yep that'd be awesome absolutely cool okay so now my number two that has already been spoiled <laughs> it's actually true of both <laughs> of my top two damn it uh spoiled. my that's it's okay it's not spoiled because i still love it <laughs> my number two is the ring 
It, this oh, this nice. bounced back between number one and number two. This movie was just tremendous. I remember at the time, uh, the, the aforementioned uh, ending that Dave alluded to, it just, I will never forget. I, I, I honestly have that seared into my brain, sitting in the theater, <laughs> watching that with my wife, and just both of us being... I, it was it was terrifying. I mean, <laughs> there's no other way to put it. Just everything from uh, there's a, there, from the point of revelation to culmination. It, it's that last ten minutes seals this movie as a classic in my mind. And the whole movie is fantastic. I love the whole movie. Right. I love the ideas behind it. I love the the, the the conceit of the tape and the ringing of the phone. I, everything about this movie I love, but specifically. I will never forget that ending. I don't even. I think I may have been in a theater in Orlando. I just remember exactly where we were sitting, <laughs> that whole thing playing out, and it was just phenomenal. So for me, The Ring 2002 is my number two. Very nice. Yes. Awesome. Great pick. I don't know if I've told you. I've, I've probably told Dave this before on the show, and you may have heard it as a previous listener to the show. Uh, this was, you know, you guys talked about your experiences going to army of darkness on dates this was my experience taking the woman who's now my wife to uh the ring and she's still not forgiven me and questions every horror movie i try to get her to watch since then but see i feel like the difference is here's the key difference i'm assuming it's because it absolutely terrified her Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. Well, the thing is, she didn't watch most of the movie. She was so terrified by the closet scene that she buried her <laughs> face into my shoulder and said, "F you, f you, f you, f you" for the next hour and a half, and just listened to the rest of the movie without even looking at the screen. That wow, is amazing. Is it bad that? No, seriously though, is it bad that there's a part of me that envies that reaction? two horror movies <laughs> no i'm serious because there's so few movies that get even anything close to that but that because that reminds you of being like a kid and you can't even look you can't it's so just horrifying to you that you can't you know it's going to traumatize you forever and you're just burying your face and you're yep. just in this complete fight or flight mode right i just i don't know there's a part of me that totally envies that <laughs> i was like it's rated pg-13 uh, yeah yeah it's gonna be that bad uh, exactly exactly <laughs> But no, I was saying this is this is a movie that I always point to, and everybody says, "Oh yeah, PG thirteen horror, it's horrible." Well, first off, let's not make a blanket statement. Uh, have you seen The Ring? <laughs> because right. no, yeah. not not all PG thirteen horror movies are made the same. So I knew that you, this would probably make both of your guys' list. Well, I knew for sure this would make Dave's list. But um, there was another PG thirteen horror film that almost made my list, but I left it off just because I, you know, I was already kind of pushing some boundaries with a few of my films, whether or not people would consider them horror. I, I know I'm off script right now. I apologize, guys. Yeah. But like for me, there's another film from the year 2000, What Lies Beneath. Oh, yeah. It's, I feel like it's a super oh, underrated yeah. ghost story. Like I, when I saw that, I thought this is one of the best movies of the year at the it time. It really you know? is. There, there were some uh, chilling scenes in that movie, no yeah. doubt. Nobody talks about that film. I don't know why it's so underrated. The only but, thing I remember about that movie is in the trailer, I'm your wife. <laughs> that's the only part I remember on the movie. It's Harrison Ford, right? And uh, Zemeckis yeah. directed it, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. 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 That'd be at some point maybe we'll do like low key ghost stories or <laughs> or something. Yeah, and, RPG thirteen horror. Yeah. Episode could yeah. be fun too. Yeah, that would be fun. Here it is. We made it all the way to the end. It's time for our number one pick. <laughs> all right. Here we go, Dave. Drum roll. Number one. All right, number one. Well, I've I've said on the show many times before how uh, 
a ghost story can really sort of get to me sometimes, and especially the the good ghost stories. But there is one film that absolutely terrified me the first time I saw it, and it is from Japan, from two thousand two, Juan. Ah, uh, great! Nice. This movie terrified me there are moments in this film uh one involving a stairway when i was watching this i I didn't see it in the theater i was sitting in my living room and the way my couch is set up the back is to the stairs and there's a scene (laughs) set on a stairway with a with a a certain noise that when it happened i was watching my stairs as much as i was watching the television just turning back and forth between the two of them i bet you i bet you were (laughs) because i'm saying I am getting the hell out of here. And you know what? My family can fend for themselves because I'm getting the hell out of here if, if I see this thing on the stairs. Isn't you on, isn't you on the one where you hear the, ah. Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Another scene where somebody is standing directly over a character who is asleep. The imagery in this film, I think, is, is what really, really got to me. Uh, I mean, this is not a ghost story where doors are slamming and you're wondering, could it be the wind? No, you know right away <laughs> what's going on in this film. Um, and to me, it is truly terrifying. And it is my number one movie of the 2000s. Wow. And I don't know of a time when it ever won't be. Did you like The Grudge? No. You know what? I have not seen The Grudge because of this movie. Really? I remember I, I liked The Grudge. I've heard mixed things yeah, about the grudge. I remember liking the grudge. I do think hey, this is a reverse though, if I remember correctly of Ringo, whereas I saw I did see the grudge first, then saw Juan and Juan I thought was it's way scarier. So, right. but I remember the grudge not being bad, but it also, if I remember has Sarah Michelle Geller in it. So Josh, <laughs> that's a non-starter. Right. Right. And it's, it's the unpredictability of Juan. I mean, these ghosts can show, and they usually do just appear anywhere at any given time under a table, under your covers, Jesus, that scene got to me too. Um, just so much about this movie that uh, it, it really is just a very frightening film. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is another one as we've talked about with several films now that where the American remake is pretty good still. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, I think the ring is much more successful as an American remake than the grudges though. Yes. But, uh, mm-hmm. but still not bad. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. Wolfman. What is your number one? Okay, my number one film. Probably no one other than me is going to say this is a horror film. Let's just (laughs) put that out there right now. But, you know, you had seven on your list last time. Hey, seven is is horrifying. (laughs) What's in the box? What's in the box? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) And I went with the burbs, I believe, was my number one 80s horror film. So, look, I don't care. These are the movies that yes. if I couldn't ever see again, Preach I would it. be actually sad. Like, yeah. I would be sad. That's what the criteria is, man. In the late 1960s and early 70s, a San Francisco newspaper cartoonist becomes an amateur detective obsessed with tracking down an unidentified individual who terrorizes Northern California I love that you picked this movie. with a killing spree. I love that you picked this movie. Zodiac from oh, 2007, yeah. David Fincher. It counts. It counts. Masterpiece. It Absolute is masterpiece. a wonderful movie. I see now why you threw the seven at back at me. 
<laughs> yeah. No, it is a masterpiece. It is. It is a great movie. I think this is Fincher's best movie if I had to pick one. I'd and say seven, too. but I think I, I would is, say that too. Zodiac for me is a strong number two. Seven is still number one for me. And in the game is up there, but Zodiac is such a great movie. Oh my god. It really is. And like with uh, my last pick, Shadow of the Vampire, this one is streaming on Amazon Prime if you have a subscription for free. And like Shadow of the Vampire, I would still recommend buying the Blu-ray or DVD, though, because the special features on this are so good. These are some of the best special features wow. I've ever seen. I'll have to check that out. I've, I've never watched uh, the disc of it, so I'll have to check that out. That's cool. Oh, it's so good. And I will say that Zodiac, to me, here's the way I look at it. When you're dealing with an investigation of a real-life serial killer who was never caught. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, you know, so... Yeah. Technically, it's a movie you could watch. And then, while well, yes, he would be pretty old. In theory, <laughs> he's still out yeah. there. And, he could be, yeah. And, he, and you know, I, I, it's like that takes it, that amps it up a level. Because at the end of the day, you know, I'm watching Jason. I'm watching Freddy. I'm watching Michael. I can always back and ah, it's not real. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's real. <laughs> so, yeah. Zodiac is real. For me, the horror comes in. Uh, well, there's one scene specifically by the side of a lake that I think mm, was terrifying. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, so scary. I was going to say, I think if you consider the town, the dreaded sundown horror film, I, I think you have to consider this a horror film as well, which I do. Oh, very much so. Yes. Yes. I think that's a I better way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I would agree. And I can never hear. And this is what usually happens with a movie when, when, when it uses music in a way that, that like, I can never hear Donovan's hurdy gurdy man again. Oh, I know. Without oh, yeah. thinking of this film. Yes. That's a creepy song anyway, but now it's right. like, yeah. <laughs> Other level. Without thinking of a specific scene in this film, right at the beginning, right toward the beginning of the movie. And there's one scene that, you know, it's kind of more in the thriller camp, but it to me is the scariest scene in the movie where Jake Gyllenhaal finds himself in a basement. Yes. And I'm yes. just like, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> like, I've never had that feeling of dread come right. over me in a movie. Well, very few right. times in my life have I had that kind of feeling of dread come over me. I, I felt the same way. <laughs> yeah that's a great pick man well my number one is a masterpiece in my opinion and uh obviously i i, I it's really hard to figure out what it is you know based on my reaction earlier <laughs> and then i'm down to number one <laughs> so this is a movie that i remember reading about i think of all places on ain't it cool news if you remember that website, you know. Oh, oh, oh I, I would go uh, there every yes, every me, few days. Me, yep. me, me too. I d don't do it these days, but I used to. Um, <laughs> right. And uh, yeah, so this is a movie I remember reading about there. And I think I read an early review of it. And they were actually, I, I, seem to remember, I can't remember who reviewed it, but they weren't in love with it, as I recall. So I think it maybe downplayed my expectations. I went into it and I, I just remember, thought, first off, Bill Paxton was phenomenal. I thought the kids who played his sons were phenomenal. Mm -hmm. I love the time period this is set in. Uh, I remember when it came out on DVD I, and it had commentary, and I believe Brent Hanley, the guy who wrote it, uh, does a track on it. And I remember him talking about the Stephen King influence. And this do, this feels mm -hmm. like the Stephen King property that Stephen King had nothing to do with. <laughs> right. <laughs> that that it, it, absolutely. It, it has that feeling, that has that King vibe. And mm -hmm. McConaughey, you guys already said, just was phenomenal. And Powers Booth was great. And just some of the twists and turns it takes, but especially the sort of ultimate reveals. I, I 
Yeah, I love it so mm-hmm. much. I, I, and every time I've revisited this movie, I just love it that much more. Um, it's it's low key. It's a kind of a quiet horror movie. But Bill Paxson, the fact that uh, if I'm not mistaken, is this the only feature he directed? That's a good question. I know he directed several episodes of Big Love, but I'm not sure if he directed any other. He only has five credits. Uh, He did. Now, he did the greatest game ever played, which I guess is a baseball movie, which would explain why I haven't seen it. Oh, Oh, no, that's a that's a no, that's a golf movie. Oh, golf movie. Oh, that's right. I've seen seen that. My grandpa owned that movie. (laughs) Oh, oh, really? I was going to say also explains why I haven't seen it. Then it's golf. Uh, So, uh, yeah, I I, uh, did not see that one, but. As far as it's fine. Okay. But I will say a really cool fireworks scene in the greatest game ever played that like has always stuck with me that I thought I'm going to use that. I'm stealing that. (laughs) That's actually funny. (laughs) And I guess he did a short. So he's made two features, a couple of shorts and that's it. But frailty to me, if he did nothing else outside of all the amazing acting that he did, uh, this, this is just hands down in my, I feel like it deserves to be a classic from the time period. I just love it so much. Um, So that is my pick. That is my number one frailty. Nice. Awesome pick. All right. So you guys want to, you want to do our honorable mentions real fast? Sure. All right. Dave, we'll kick it off to you. Go ahead and read your five. Since we all get five, your five honorable mentions. All right. My honorable mentions, uh, starting from one down to five, uh, the strangers, which I think is a very strong home invasion film. Definitely. Uh, wreck is on here, which uh, Joel has already mentioned the devil's rejects. Yes. I was a big fan, actually, as much as uh, the, the original is in my top 10 of all time horror films. Number two, actually, I was actually a fan of 2004's Dawn of the Dead uh, oh, by Zack Snyder. I did enjoy that one. And my number five is already mentioned by uh, Josh, Shaun of the Dead. Oh, Another great. zombie film that I really enjoyed. Those are uh, great honorable mentions. Wolfman, what you got? Well, Dawn of the Dead could have been on my list, but I... Decided to go a slightly different direction. Uh, my, I'm going to call this my number 11 through 15. My number 11, it's not typically the type of film I like in some ways. It, things like dialogue and characters, but the filmmaking is on such a high level. I think this is truly a horror masterpiece. The Devil's Rejects from 2005 is it's just one of the best movies of the early 2000s. It's one of the best oh. horror movies of its kind. Uh, Night Watch which is one of the really quirky films on my list. This is a Russian vampire film. Also was yes. a sequel day watch, which was close to making my list. If you haven't seen night watch and day watch, that is an awesome double feature. They're action horror films, but they are crazy. Yes. Vampire <laughs> movies that I recommend checking out. Awesome. Uh, Pontypool will be oh, the next one on my Pontypool. list. That's a great, great movie. Yeah. You know, again, so many zombie related movies in this era. Uh, I thought I'd go with one that was a little, little more quirky uh, mm-hmm. than, than the obvious picks. I love that movie so uh, much more than I thought I would. Oh, it was so mm, good. Yeah, definitely. Me too. Stephen McCaddy's a big reason why. Yes, too. he's great. Right here in this spot, I almost went with Dawn of the Dead because I think it is one of the great remakes of all time. And I really love what they did with that material. I almost like it more than the original, to whoa, be honest. Whoa, whoa, um, but whoa, I, whoa. But I decided... <laughs> It's true, <laughs> but I still decided to honor Romero and I went with land of the dead oh, cool. in this spot. That's a good pick. Nice. I love this film. I think this one is much maligned. I don't get it. I think his films did get a lot worse. The next three that he made. Yeah. I really, but, but this land one is, this is a quadrilogy just as much as it's a trilogy. I think and land of I the agree. dead fits in there perfectly. Mm-hmm. I agree. 
And as much as this movie is my number one or two favorite horror film of all time, I still really enjoy this remake from 2007. It's Rob Zombie's Halloween. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. That's nice. Good, 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 for, good for you, Wolfman. <laughs> <laughs> a, mo- a movie that I can't get past the backstory of. Yes. I, uh, mm. Well, the backstory, backstory <sighs> the backstory might have been you know a little innocent but i see why he did it i see why <sighs> okay, i see why rob yeah. zombie i just did don't it. i don't want the shape um, explained i can't i can't reiterate that enough i just i do not want my shape explained i don't care i don't i, I freak i hate love the backstory i, I would hate say it so I, much <laughs> i don't love the dialogue between the mom and the dad in the backstory again that that was what i found grating Right. But I, I really enjoy the texture that Zombie brought to this movie. Well, we'll yeah. we will we'll we'll teach a lesson to the internet. We will agree to disagree, my friend. <laughs> we will agree to disagree. Hey, at least I didn't bring Wicker Man to the table. Hey, <laughs> yeah, hey, right. but it goes back to if you if the idea of never seeing it again, like you never could see it again, would it make your list then? If you had to put it on your list, you would never see it again. Wicker Man. Yeah. Uh, I can live without Wicker Man. I really like it though. Okay. I really like okay. it a lot. Okay. I, for me though, I'm such a Michael Myers super fan. I I love Tyler Maine's version of Michael Myers. That's really what I like most about this movie. It has a lot of things I don't like about it, but uh, Tyler Maine's portrayal of Michael Myers is so exciting as a longtime Michael Myers fan. It's different, but it's exciting. I, I need think. to just and go just- back to that movie and fast forward <laughs> to the point when we're in the <laughs> asylum. I think that's really what I got to do. And then I probably will just watch it. I think I'll be okay then. I think I'll be okay then. All right. My picks. I'll do this quick because I think we've got several, well, at least a couple crossovers. Uh, The Descent is my first one out the gate, of course. Uh, Classic. Nothing else needs to be said. The Others from 2001. First mention, yeah. Yeah. That's my agree to disagree film. I do not get the love for that movie. Really? Okay. I I have not seen it in a long time, but I remember liking it quite a bit. It's a very turn of the screw kind of movie and um you know it's it's i don't know i just remember really liking it yeah. thinking it was very kind of elegant and uh you're uh, in the majority okay I, I just i think for me i i saw it coming from a mile away and then the journey wasn't that much fun for me either so okay well see like, i didn't i actually i don't remember catching the twist before okay yeah before the end before it was i yeah. guess supposed to be revealed i um, am in the minority i i understand that okay so okay you're, you're right i'm wrong <laughs> I don't I don't think that's what we take away from that. It's called an opinion. All right. Uh, so then the next one, which now all three of us have it in some variation on our list. Let the right one in. Nice. All right. So my next pick, uh, honorable mention, I really makes me realize I'm actually surprised. I because I don't think you guys, either of you, unless until you mentioned Wreck, Dave, either of you had any found footage movies, correct? Hmm. No, not really. No, I don't, know. I don't usually think of myself as a found footage, you know, super fan or anything, but I put paranormal, <laughs> paranormal activity on my list. Oh. I, I remember okay. really, really digging this movie. And especially there's a couple of moments in it that were just creepy AF. Holy yeah. Yeah. Ah. And there's something about <laughs> back to that. Somebody standing over you while you sleep um, mm-hmm. and just those kinds of things. And just even yeah. just the ending, I, I really, really liked that. I have actually seen none of the sequels of, on these. I've not seen. Oh, well, I think there's, I like them. I know that they're maligned within the horror community, yeah. but I think there are a lot of, a few good entries. Yeah, I that. thought the third one was pretty good. I, I did enjoy the third one. Yeah, and I just love the fact that this is the one where wasn't the budget next to nothing like 15 20 grand or something and yeah. and it the, made a ton of money and, and the yes. guy just used his own house or whatever yeah and it made an insane amount of money and is it it wasn't blum 
Jason Blum behind yeah. this one? Okay. Yep. Yeah. This, I mean, this is the reason his career exists. Yeah. You know, I mean, he, he was, I, I swear, I just barely talked about this on another podcast. Maybe I didn't, but you know, he, he was in a real bad spot in his career when he found paranormal activity. He had left the Weinstein company or yeah. I guess it was, you know, uh, Miramax at the time and dimension. And he was trying to get going as a solo producer and just having very little success. And he found this film and tried to convince anyone and everyone to kind of take a chance on it. Nobody would. And he took a huge swing on uh, getting them to finally screen this movie in front of an audience with some executives present, the way that went down, it's a long story, but it's crazy. And that is the reason he has a career right now. That's the reason all these new Halloween movies exist is because of paranormal activity. See, so we have paranormal activity to thank people. We really do. I mean, it's true. He, he may have disappeared and, you know, and never succeeded in Hollywood had it not been for this movie. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Yeah. So I, I just, even just as a movie though, I mean, I don't, I haven't rewatched it. I think I did watch it one other time and I haven't rewatched it since. So I don't know if it's a movie that would hold up for me as much on multiple rewatches, but I just remember how impactful it was and how much I liked it and appreciated it. So I wanted to, I mean, that's kind of why it didn't make my list. I think it it is, if I was going to make a list of the most important movies in, you know, this year, it would be definitely on there. Um, It's not a great movie, but it's, but it's, it did have a huge impact on me and it had an even bigger impact on the industry. Yeah. And my final one ties in somewhat nicely to our horror on the highway episode we did uh, a few episodes back uh and that is vacancy from 2007 a movie that i did not see in the theater because again this came out right at that window where you know we were we had baby number two on the way and Mm. i just at the time i just remember thinking yeah okay for whatever reason it didn't click with me and then finally one night we rented it this was like maybe five years ago i think it was and Mm. i loved it (laughs) I thought yeah. it was great. Um, it's a good one. Yeah. It's it's just a fun, just kind of twisted little horror thriller. And uh, yeah. So Vacancy 2007. Can I say three films that, and I could be wrong. And me and Dave went back and forth the other day where I was way off on a movie. I thought he liked that he hadn't even really seen before or hadn't seen in a while. But um, there are three films I thought might make Dave's list that I want to just run by him really quick. Go for it. Sure. House of the Devil. Uh, House of the Devil is a, a good movie. Yes, it was, it's not one that I would like. I have to see again, mm-hmm. but it is a good movie. Yeah, it almost it, it almost made my list. Vibe to it. it. It almost made my list. I actually, I okay. really, I really like that movie a lot too. That's one when I was just kind of going through creating lists from this era that kept coming up. I thought, oh, I bet, I bet Dave's gonna have that one. The Hills Have Eyes remake. I thought might be on there. I was that was that was close. That was close. I think it was in my honorable mentions at one point. As a matter of fact, I do really, really enjoy that remake. And the My Bloody Valentine remake. Uh, no, I, the original is is still more beloved to me. Okay, that's I, I like the My Bloody Valentine remake quite a bit. But um, no, not to the point I would have, have put it on my list. But the original is my favorite 80s slasher, seeing as Halloween is from the 70s. The um, original My Bloody Valentine is my all-time favorite 80s slasher film. For me, I was really shocked. Like I, When I thought of doing a 2000s list, I thought for sure Scream 3 would be on my list. And I was mm. surprised that it didn't get anywhere near my list when I actually mm-hmm. wow. started putting films down on paper. Sorry. And the other one is Trick or Treat, Dave. Oh, trick or treat. 
Uh, you know what? I mean, it was a, it, it was a good time for horror, I think, that that first decade of the new millennium. And yeah. Trick or Treat could have made my list, probably, again, in the honorable mention spot. But, no, I love it. It's another one to always, uh, you know, another one to check out at Halloween time. And, Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny, Dave, you recommend, recommended a couple movies because, remember, we were discussing the fact that I told you this is where we're starting to get where my wheelhouse thins out a bit. Although, again, I was pleasantly surprised at how much uh, many of these I had seen. Um, when, when I had given you that list, you sent back, I'd say, that about 85 to 90 percent of them you'd already seen and i said i think you're fine yeah but 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 the ones that weren't on there yet were high tension which i did get to um i still haven't seen the hills have eyes remake because i'm kind of intentionally holding that one i would love for us to do a versus at least between that and the original yeah and then the other ones were the orphanage which i had seen and uh, Mm -hmm. and that one i remember really liking a lot i didn't make my list but i liked it um dead snow still haven't seen need to see it i know and trick or treat which i had not Mm -hmm. seen well as of this morning i saw it I actually intentionally, oh, wow. I intentionally watched it because I was like, how have I never seen this movie? Because I know it, <laughs> I, it, it's one of those movies that on, on paper in every possible way, shape or form, it's a movie that I should have at least seen, uh, let alone loved. So I watched it. Here's the thing. I I liked it. I could see why people really like it. I think the whole Sam character, I get why he's become iconic and is like at every horror convention I go to. It's like Sam stuff everywhere. I get it. But and maybe it was that it's that classic people built something up so much that when you finally sit down, you're like, okay, uh-huh, sure. Yeah, and I think part of the legend of this film is that it was seen as a failure, you know, sure. by the studio, and it kind of got shelved, and yeah. so people were clamoring for it. When it finally got released, it was like, oh, like look how good this is. How could they shelve this? You know? So yes, and I can see that. You almost had the opposite reaction, right? So, all right. So I guess, guys, we've done it. We've not only wrapped up the 2000s list, but we've wrapped up all of our lists for this hallowed month of October. Yes. Made it through Halloween. Yeah. Very cool. I just want to tell everybody out there, have a happy and safe Halloween. Absolutely. Happy Halloween, everyone. I hope your uh, October was great. Hope you saw tons of horror films. And, uh... My three horror films are going to be the uh, the trilogy now. I can't wait to see Three from Hell. I'm waiting till Halloween night to see Three from Hell. Nice. So, that's it for this episode. Be sure to follow Wolfman on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Facebook at Icarus Arts. Wolfman also appears on the Gods and Monsters, a Universal Monsters cast podcast. You can follow Gods and Monsters at MonstersCast on Twitter. And be sure to read Dr. Shock's written reviews over at DVDinfatuation.com. You can follow Doc on Twitter at DVDinfatuation. Doc also appears on the Land of the Creeps podcast. And be sure to check out my other show, Retro Movie Geek, at RetroMovieGeek.com, where we're talking about movies that are 20 years old or older. You can follow Retro Movie Geek on Twitter at RetroMovieGeek, and you can check out some of my older stuff over at ForgottenFlix.com. Oh, and of course, one other place you can find me is at Spooky Empire at the Tampa Convention Center. I will be there on Sunday, November 3rd. I will be wearing a long sleeve horror movie podcast tee. It'll have the green horror movie podcast label on it. I am the bald guy. So come find me. I'm hoping I will have some stickers, some H&P stickers or something to hand out to our listeners. So come and find me, introduce yourself. I would love to meet all of you that are going to be there. So please be sure to come and find me if you get a chance. We love reading and responding to your comments. So we hope you'll get involved in the horror movie podcast community. You can leave a comment in the show notes for this episode at horrormoviepodcast.com. 
where you can find this and all of our past episodes. You can also connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at HorrorMovieCast. If you'd like to support Horror Movie Podcast, you can try Shudder free for 30 days. Just go to Shudder.com and use the promo code HMP when signing up. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com and the promo code HMP. And be sure to get your listener-designed HMP t-shirts at HorrorMoviePodcast.com forward slash store. You can also become a patron of Movie Podcast Network for only $2.50 a month. Be sure to check it out at patreon.com forward slash movie podcast network. We want to thank singer-songwriter Fred Ingram for the use of his music for the Horror Movie Podcast theme song. You can find more of Fred's music at frederickingram.com. We also want to thank composer Kagan Breitenbach for his arrangement and orchestration of Fred's original theme, which opens the show. You can find more of Kagan's work at kaganbreitenbach.com. And that's it for this episode. We hope you'll join us again for our next episode. Thank you for joining us for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. plug i've talked about this on the show before in another life where i have a lot of free time and i'm not trying to actually have a career in film (laughs) i feel like i would have loved to make viral youtube videos like (laughs) (laughs) maybe like i would like to be doing those video youtube essays and stuff like that like that really seems like the kind of thing supercuts and mashups and uh you know those are like the kind of thing that i really enjoy watching on youtube and one time one time in 2011 I did a mashup where I took the Alkaline Trio band doing a cover of the Misfits song Halloween, and I cut it to a mix of Trick or Treat and Halloween H2O footage. <laughs> wow. That's a good mix. And uh, it did pretty well on, on YouTube. I mean, you know, it's not like viral. Like, it's, it hasn't done as well as, like, some of the the other stuff that I've done for different clients. It got 28 views. <laughs> What's that? It got 28 views. <laughs> no, it's got, you know, it's got over a hundred thousand views nice, on YouTube. Nice. If you Google 
Alkaline Trio Halloween. It's the number one like video hit you'll get on Google. <laughs> I'm, oh, that's awesome. I, I'm doing it right now. There you go. So it's, awesome. you know, it's from 2011. It's in SD. You know, it, it, I ripped it off of a DVD, not even a Blu-ray, but it's kind of a fun. It's, you know, I was an Alkaline Trio it is. Misfits fan. Found it. Like it fun. Got it. Yep. I mean, watch That's that when cool. you got. I want to. Yeah. Um, probably not. Probably not as many views as you know. Orangutan scratches his butt. <laughs> no. But that's pretty good. A hundred thousand. Look, and I've had you know I've had I've had my you know five million view videos go viral for other people that have cut, but this is kind of like my a my fantasy uh, career. Ultra, you know, this uh, is your your fantasy yeah, career. Like, yeah. Yeah. What is the the sideways world? Where I would <laughs> where I'd be making YouTube videos for fun and for a living. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> okay, my number ten is maybe my most deliberated film. Trying to figure out which films would pop into the honorable mentions and which would make it into the top ten. Still struggling as I'm saying this. I think I'm going with this one, even though it maybe isn't quite as beloved to me as some of the others in my top 15. I think this is the one film on my list. Uh, I'm kind of my bottom. Jeez, I don't know, man. I don't know what to do. (laughs) Just say it. Say it. It's Wicker Man. It's Wicker Man. It's Wicker Man. You know it is. (laughs) No. All right, I'll just let me start over. They cast a bunch of Polynesian actors to play the Native Alaskans, which at the time really bothered me. But it's kind of, again, like with distance, it's just kind of a weird, fun detail <laughs> that I enjoy because they shot the movie in New Zealand. Oh, okay. And so you have all of these Maori actors, right. uh, you know, who are in New Zealand who have experienced working on Hollywood films because they've been in The Matrix and in. Uh, you know, Peter Jackson's movies. And so they just brought them all over to play native Alaskans, which is just kind of a, uh, maybe culturally inappropriate idea, but just kind of funny in in retrospect. So. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's, I think it's just, there's a, 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 I've been using that word aesthetic, like a lot. I need to come up with a, go get a thesaurus or something. Okay. Well, <laughs> well, 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 how y'all well, doing how did I? Howdy, howdy doodly, neighbor. <laughs> we're gonna shoot her online today (laughs) okay well welcome oh no i'm trying to say welcome what's the what's the um caterpillar costume caterpillar What's that? Um, What's the horror movie with this? So people's butts. Oh, oh human, human yeah, centipede. The, um, the human centipede. Human yeah. centipede. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think all three of the Hell House LLC films are on Shutter. I don't know. I'm looking. Me too. It's a race. Who will find it? <laughs> you guys are probably way ahead of me because I was still asking the question. Yep, they are yep, all, yeah, three. all three of them. Yep. Are. Okay. Speaking of busting things, wow that. Didn't set up right. Okay. So, <laughs> oh no, where are we going with wow. this? Yeah, okay. So, my number five. Well, I can't wait to hear is, your number five. My number five is human centipede. No, I'm just kidding. Wrong deck. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So, my uh, number four. Are we up to me, or is this? Or did I skip Wolfman again? You skipped Wolfman. I did. Again. 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 I, I don't know what I'm, but he's getting, he's getting antsy now. I, I he's am, afraid I we're going to start exactly. off <laughs> So it turns out, guys, it actually does matter to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when, the, when the shoe is on the other foot, suddenly it's not so funny. All right. So number, yeah. number, uh, your number four. 
Wolfman. My number three, oh, except I just realized I jumped over Josh again. My God, I am, I am like desperate. <laughs> You are. You're getting. You're getting. You're getting, you're getting very desperate. You're scared. You're, this is. You're, I really you're, am. Cowering. I really. I'm like trembling. All right. So, because what was the year on that one? It was 2000. What was the year on? Uh, 2000. Oh, it's 2000. 2000. Oh, just 2000. Okay. You owe yeah, no one an apology for Zodiac ever. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think this was also one of the three films, and, and though I truly was doing the movies that I love the most, this film, The Devil's Rejects and Shadow of the Vampire were three films that I just felt like they are such a high caliber of cinema. I had to have them on my list as well. So. Right. You said Devil's Rejects? I think so, yeah. 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 Okay. I trust you. I think it's a masterpiece for what it is. Honestly, okay, I mean, yeah. I think it is. It well, I don't want to backtrack all the way to my number uh, ten. But okay, yeah, yeah. The, okay. You know, anyway. Go. I just thought it was an interesting yeah. one to co to connect to the other two. That's all. Um, but yes. Yeah. Okay, so my number. I, mean, I, I look. I think all of the films on my list are high quality films right. too. There aren't any like I you know Club Dread is one of my favorite movies from this era, but I, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't put it on here. <laughs> you should have. All right. I know. All right. So, but I truly, you know, I truly think, uh, you know, there are a few few of these films that are technical masterpieces, and I think Zodiac's one of them. Talking about golf real quick. I, my father loves to watch golf on television. Bores the hell out of me. <laughs> um, and I remember going over there one day. He said, oh, I want you want to watch golf? I said, sure. But when we're done, can you throw on the watching paint dry channel just to sort of liven things up a bit? <laughs> no offense to our golf fans out there, but... I know, I, 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 the sport itself is fine. It's just the I, watching, watching the it. The watching um, it know, part. Yeah. And everyone's whispering. It's like ASMR. So, uh, unintentional yeah. ASMR puts me right to sleep. <laughs> You know what? Golf is one of the few sports I can stand to watch on TV. This is weird, but it's because it's one of the few that I don't want to play. That makes like, sense. I, like, yeah. I'll go to a, like a basketball game or a football game, and I just am anxious the whole time because I'm just like, oh, I want to go oh, that's play interesting. a soccer game. That's an interesting way of looking but at it. But golf, I can kind of just enjoy watching it for some reason. I grew up watching it with my grandpa, though, so that's the reason. Yeah, you probably have a nostalgic okay. connection, but I, I, I find it relaxing. In the, like To your point, Dave, the watching Paint Dry channel, I find it, it is very relaxing. You just kind of have it on, and, and then they're all talking like this and uh he's just going to uh take a take a driver and uh right yeah unless of course you have the situation which happened a couple months ago where the lightning uh hit the the field see now that of course that i miss yeah yeah they were video they actually were filming you actually could see the lightning hit the tree wow. and like i think six people in the hospital well, that's not good. I, I I thought maybe it just hit in the middle of something. Thank God they were okay. Thank God they were okay. But it, yeah, well, it that's was good. Yeah, that's but it, good. it no, was. But, but I, maybe it's because my father's were watching. He'll go ooh or oh or things like that. I'm like, yeah. you can't do that with golf. <laughs> yeah, you, you can't. Yeah. Well, why don't you just do that with like curling or croquet or something? <laughs> yeah, I mean, come yeah. on. Oh. <laughs> so close, so close. <laughs>